Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. So, yes, I think sometimes I go to the bathroom, Kevin. I come back in. Thing, I, things get a little weird sometimes. I come back in. <laughs> Knobs return, volumes are different, input levels are different. People probably put gum underneath this table. Shh. Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> now no, I'm only all paranoid. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. So, uh, yeah, finally you're here. Uh, I had to get you before you're leaving. I appreciate that. When are you, when, so you're going to Texas. Yeah. You I mean, jo- before you we even Ro- start, to be honest, bro, you, this is 9.30 on a Sunday. Yeah. We made this work. I leave to go to Chicago tomorrow. I'm back for one day before I move. I appreciate this. That's what I do, bro. Yeah. I uh, I was listening to the Lord, a Lord on the way here. Not the Lord, but with the E, you know? And, <laughs> you know, on a Sunday, it worked out perfectly. Nine in the morning. I'm hyped. I'm excited. Well, you're, you're like my motivational speaker, uh, man. You're like, you got me up before noon. Do you I, hear that, friends? I am now yeah. in motivational. I think game. it's the best I've looked in like a week. I mean, like, <laughs> I swear I haven't been sleeping at all. You're going to Texas. You and Rogan hanging out. Yeah, I mean, I've met him before. A very, uh, very intense guy. I mean, I appreciate his comedy and everything, but very uh, masculine, you know. And uh, like, what do you mean by that? Like I gave, a, I went, uh, went. Paulie Turn Shore. Turn that second knob down again, bro. Yeah, you're yeah, ki- sorry. This guy's killing me over here. There you go. I just have a yeah, really deep that's, voice. That's good. That good. Yeah, that's better. We both have decent that's, radio I'm voices. I'm telling you, that's that fucking. Someone's coming in here and turning knobs, man. Yeah. It's you cons- have like a it's knob a, ghost or something? I, it's a conspiracy. I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to look. Have to that's have, why these lights are maybe flickering. I'm, well, maybe, you know? Know, maybe that, or I'm going to leave the cameras on when I'm not here. Whoa. It's amazing. So we have long shows, and sometimes we have breaks. <laughs> People got to piss. So while we do that, the cameras stay on. Oh. Uh. There's and the guests seem to forget that. There's some old lady that walks in like, what do you do? What do you <laughs> no, do? No, no, no. The point is sometimes the camera's down as we all take turns using the bathroom. Yeah. So I go to edit later, and I and while I'm at the bathroom, then you hear the real story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, yeah, so back to Rogan. So why, we, he's intense in what regard? What do you mean? Uh, Just very serious, you know? Like really? You can tell this guy lifts weights every day. I I, um, I was interning and working for Paulie Shore for a bit in Los Angeles at the comedy store. And, uh, you know, I, I saw of my idols there every night so like I'm working for him during the day and then I'm like oh this guy's performing at night I love him and he's like oh man let's go see him you know and uh, I went to go give him like a fist bump and I just held it out there for like 10 seconds and then uh, and then he, he like stared at it so I gave him I put my hand out obviously I was like alright handshake that's professional you know and he just shook it like t- the toughest it's like I don't know what the rock gives handshakes like but I felt like it was just like a boulder this guy's like playing with stones every day you know like he's really just like gripping things and just getting his like what is that thing called where you like oh yeah I remember them things yeah like you're just gonna take like your anxiety off like I feel like he's like using one of those at all times because his handshakes his grip um and yeah you know so he gets on stage he's laughing he's goofing off and he seems like a fun guy but it was just very intimidating for a young 20 I don't know I was 23 you know I was like this is this is interesting, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if I met him again, like I, I plan to in the near yeah. future, and yep. I'm sure we'll be goofing off and having a good time, and I'm excited to go down there and see him at like Stubbs with Dave Chappelle. Yeah. So they got, they're doing that together, and mm-hmm. um, supposedly Joe's opening a comedy club down there. He's trying to open two, supposedly, so. Really? Yeah. So he's, he wants one, supposedly, for the younger talent, and one for like the headliners, like a bigger venue and a smaller venue. He's got the money now. Right. That's what I'm saying. I mean- I'm a, he's got enough money to... Joe, you have enough money. I mean... No, no one ever has enough money. 
Yeah, but now he does. Uh, he's got more money than God now. He's Joe. What has he done? What do you think he's done to modern comedy? Like, where, where, where is his place in terms of him and in terms of what he's done from a notoriety standpoint? What do you think? Um, I feel like Joe Rogan has changed the game completely, especially like with social media and like the next generation of talent. I feel like he's really inspired a lot of the younger talent um, in a way that they are trying to innovate their way around comedy because, you know, back in the day it was just stand up, you know, and then you would have like radio. Um, and then it goes to like TV and movies if you're good enough to get into screenwriting or get an agent or whatever. Um, but I think with him, it really showed you like how to build a fan base and really how to, um, you know, diversify yourself and, and really stand out. And I think as far as like this generation of talent, he's really gave a lot of opportunities to these guys that maybe aren't like A or B listers, but like C listers and D listers and even people that are unknown and help them kind of build a following, give them opportunities that you don't see every day. And, um, you know, it kind of, to me, represented the comedy store, and I think that's why they put, like, his sign, like, a neon sign up, because uh, in the original room, and that's, I mean, most of the people that have a neon sign in the original room are passed away. You know, they're legends, right. you know? Right. Um, so for him to move to Texas and get his, his name in neon, I mean, that, it really represented, like, he had, like, a, you know, a, a Mitzi in him of wanting to showcase the next talent and give people opportunities and the benefit of the doubt, and you got to respect that, and... um yeah, I'm just very thankful because especially the podcast game. I mean, I think he really started going hardcore with it in like 2012, 2013. Yep. And just to see how far <laughs> that has come to the point where he signed. I mean, that deal with Spotify is such an insane deal, and it's going to last a long time. And that's going to be not only life changing for him, but I mean, I've had friends that are younger comedians that get on that show, and overnight they build such a big fan base they can't even respond to your messages anymore because well, he so wields many... he wields a lot of power. A lot. He wields a lot yeah. of power, and I don't think that he. <clears throat> From if an outsider looking in, just a, just someone who's a fan of his, and he is the reason why all this happened because he's changed the paradigm now. Talk shows on television and television in general to me is dead. Yeah, it's dead. Yeah, it's an you know I think the pandemic maybe brought it back to life a little bit, but really I mean, would you want to sit and watch a, a an interview? It might go forty-five minutes with like six commercials in the middle. No one. No. Maybe like that. Larry King, but like. But could Larry King and those guys survive now? Like really survive anymore? Because they're still good interviews. Hearn and Stern is still a great interview, but the, yeah. bottom, the bottom line is he does it with no commercial breaks. Yeah. Right. That is exactly. a big podcast. Yeah. That show. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know. No. I think the whole t- paradigm. I think Rogan showed first off long form conversation is a real thing. Definitely. People crave that. You know, I think they crave it, and uh, he also has made like LSD normal. I mean, like, he's made, like <laughs> doing these like psychedelics normal. He's like, hey, so what uh, universe did you see last night? You Mushrooms, know? and I mean, that's probably why he's shaped like a Funko doll. You know, like a big head and a small body, but you know, he's just like his head's just slowly expanding every day. I guess what cracks me up is his torso. Yeah, his fucking torso. I'm sure it's rock solid, you know, muscle, but he's just like. He is built like odd, like odd. Yeah, yeah. I don't. He's I don't not know. a traditional lifter, you know. Like no. he's brought up here, slim waist. He's just like, like I don't know, like a stump. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I respect because I don't. Honestly, I've been so inconsistent working out wise for yeah. years. Yeah. And I mean, I'm 28, but like, there's definitely been two years on, two years off. He's been nonstop going at it, especially since he was like younger. Yeah, he's a beast, man. So it's like you got to respect that, and that's why he looks the way he does. But yeah. do you follow that at UFC stuff? 
Uh, a little bit, yeah. Enough that like, yeah, yeah. put like bets on sports before. Like, I'm definitely <laughs> like, I'm like, you know what? This guy looks like he's gonna whoop his ass. You know, I think, I think. Yeah, um, yeah I love, I love competitive sports. So you know, March Madness going on that, like, oh, yeah. you know, all that stuff. But yeah, UFC, yeah. I mean, that's that's crazy because, I mean, you could probably get rocked in one one round, and that's life changing as far as like your mental thoughts. Yeah, no you know? doubt. No doubt. I mean, if people smoke weed, I'm sure they have just as bad as the person getting punched in the head. But, like, I mean, I just, you know, I just. <laughs> uh, you I, might I, need to smoke some weed to get in that goddamn cage. Yeah, I mean, you have to, to keep going, definitely. I mean, shit, man. Yeah. That's just insanity. Let's, let's, let's go in a 15 by 15 cage. Let's just beat the living shit out of each other for a while. That, yeah. That's called fun. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you got to pay bills and you're like, hey, like somebody's like, hey, I'll give you $1,000 to whoop this guy's ass. Like, All right, well, I got to pay rent somehow. All right, man. What, what, the Pittsburgh music, or not music, the Pittsburgh uh, comedy scene, before you tell, it was a long night. Um, in general, man, you know, what got you in the comedy here in Pittsburgh? Was it something you, you dug as a kid? You always were just one that center of attention? Was it someone in town you saw locally? Was it national comedy? What got you in the comedy? Yeah, um... Yeah, I don't know my family. I mean, I at a young age, my family let me watch bad things. You know, like <laughs> that. I really, I had as much as I had a bedtime. I mean, which was like even 10 p.m. for a seven-year-old, it's late as hell. Um, I would be up until one in the morning or two in the morning watching like VHS tapes of Jackass or like you know uh, Van Wilder and stuff. Uh-huh. You know, something you definitely shouldn't see at seven years old. A seven-year-old. Um, but every Saturday night, my parents would stay up and watch Saturday Night Live with me. You know, and that right. was kind of like they'd let me stay up until one in the morning watching the show on Saturday nights. Um, and even though you didn't understand probably a lot of what was going on, you know what's you funny? Did yeah, under- I, you yeah, did yeah. Understand like they had on. like the ambiguously gay duo. And for some reason I thought it was hilarious and I had really no idea though at the same time still, you know, uh-huh. and there's still, you can't even find it on YouTube really. Cause it's bad. Like it's bad. They wouldn't even put that in the rerun, you know, but before um, that there was a, they did uh, a character called Pat, Pat, so the, before your time, probably. Is that the old lady that looks in the mirror? No. No, Pat was the woman who, um, I guess she was gay. We, that never really was was assumed. It was just maybe maybe assumed. Yeah. No one knew what her sex was. And they built a whole movie called It's Here's Pat or It's Pat or whatever it is. And that was a thing 25 years ago that they could never do today. Right. Yeah, <laughs> look that up if you don't believe me. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely interesting. I definitely it's crazy to see now Here's with Pat, that. I think it's called with that show especially to see how censored it is now. I mean that's yeah. been my so that's kind of what got me into. I mean, at least led me into being super goofy. Like okay. I, at a young age, like before I could even talk, I, I was like a slow learner. Like at three years old, I I didn't talk until I was like three, really, which is like really bad. But um, I was always like snap my fingers. My grandpa always snaps. I always snap my fingers, and I would like make kissy faces. You know, so like I would always do that in my family with like it's just at dinner or like in general. So my grandma loved it, my aunts loved it. So they're always just like taking pictures of me and like cheering me on to do that. Um, you know, I remember being like probably ten, and I remember us being at dinner, and I was like, oh, I'm like, uh, I'm a fortune teller, and they're like, oh yeah, what's my fortune? I was like, well, you're win the lottery. They're like, no, nah, what's my fortune? I'm like, you're gonna win the lottery. And like, I just like kept saying, the same. but it was just like I love just. Did make- anyone win the lottery? I don't think so. No, uh, but but I, you know, it was one of those things where I just kind of like I I always love to see people smile and you know and just be happy. Like right. I, I think that's like my brand's called to stay happy. Like I think it was just one of those things where I 
the hardest thing in life is like i mean i think it's easy to be happy and like find happiness the mm-hmm. hardest thing is to stay happy mm-hmm. you know because that's the consistency every day of your reps you know same thing with working out it's so hard to can be consistent working out and it's the same thing with happiness and it's like if you're not happy what are you doing i mean mm-hmm. you know so i think with snl that was one thing that like my friends weren't really watching it so i was able to like be the person that you know I, my cousin gave me uh he handed me down a weird out yankovic cd when i was like seven or eight you know so i got to like give that to my friends and you know show them and thankfully when, when you were younger probably like sixth grade or something um is when the internet really started to boom and you know to be able to listen to these like old people started putting like cds up before they were restricted and like you know not allowed but to be able to listen to these old kind of like cds i mean even like eddie murphy like be able to watch that at a young age um his specials and um ace ventura jim carrey i mean adam sandler and jim carrey and snl probably like my three biggest inspirations and then probably towards like when i was seven around like 2000 is when i saw the doc maybe it was like 98 um i saw the documentary um of chris farley on vh1 mm-hmm. and about the second city and i was mm-hmm. like there's a school for comedy and i was like i don't want to be like a clown you know like there's clown school but i was like <laughs> i was like i knew that it, I, like it just seemed like none of my family went to college and I was like, college doesn't seem that interesting. It seems like a bunch of people that are, I don't know, like changing the the world in a way that like you need education, like doctors and, you know, uh, computer scientists and everything. But um, I, in, in my mind, I was like, that's just not, I'm this, I'm too much of a goober. I'm too much of like, I'm not that intelligent, like naturally. I, I didn't pay attention well in the school. I honestly didn't, I feel like my brain didn't develop. And I mean, it didn't until like 27, but like, I feel like my brain didn't develop until like two years ago, you know, where I really started to like understand uh, more things in life and understanding of why an education is important. And, um, you know, so when I was younger, I just figured, you know what, Second City, the more I researched it, the more I realized, you know what, if there was one college I'd really want to go to, it'd be that. Um, so yeah that's kind of so i don't you, know so you went there so oh i did go to second city but basically when i was <clears> um at 18 i started pursuing I, I basically had migraines my senior year i was dating a girl my family were getting a divorce all this stuff was happening um and to throw back even a little bit more in sixth grade my mom had breast cancer so okay. at that point like our entire lives changed we had to move like she got uh she got let go over from her work and i mean which now would be like a crazy case and we didn't end up getting that but um you know so to see my my fa- my family fight and then get a divorce while like my mom's still like recovering from breast cancer and um to not have good grades in school because i was too busy goofing off and then senior year realizing that like mm. a 2.1 gpa is not gonna get you into college you know um so i was lifting and a lot of stuff so i, I actually at 13 even before the second city and like before i even got to stand up at 13 i started making comedy sketches my, my dad gave me a gave me a video camera um, that had no audio, so I started making sketches that were, like, dubbed, you know? Um, and in school, they were cool, but this kid moved to my school, and he wanted to be a part of that kind of scene. So it was, like, me, my group of friends that went, made videos, and then another group, and then he was, like, this third group, and he literally made parody videos of my life, and they're called, like, the Budkey Chronicles or something. Um, and I had, like, a pan on my head, because I was just a dumbass. Where is that you know? stuff now? Uh, he took it off the internet. <laughs> yeah, I wish I... Bro, they had, like, thousands of views. Like, I was actually, like... I became, like, famous in school overnight, but, like, as, like, the loser, but, like, also it was kind of cool, like... Where um, is that stuff now? Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> That's going to resurface at some point I in hope, time. <laughs> yeah. I hope there's, like, one of those sites you can go to in 2002 and see things, you know? Um, I don't know what year this was, but uh, probably, right like, 2007 or something. But um, Right on. You know, so that I, I kind of took a break from doing that stuff. I was like, you know what? This is what I want. I want to be on SNL, but if I'm going to get made fun of for it, I didn't understand that concept of, like, cyberbullying back then. Nobody did. 
Um, so I started lifting. I got into football. My brother was doing that. So I was like, that's what you do as a, you know, in high school to be cool or just to like make friends is to play football. I wasn't a very violent person. So like I would hate to, I never started really until my senior year because I just hated hurting my friends in practice. Because if I'm going to go hard at something like competitively in football, like you're going to, especially a lineman, like you're bumping heads with people. My shoulders still hurt, my wrists, my ankles, you know, I got scoliosis. So that definitely didn't help. But, um, but that definitely got me the traction that I needed to understand more about what I needed to do after high school. So then, um, yeah, I my senior year of high school I had migraines really bad from all that. I didn't end up, I canceled my tuition to Edinburgh, and then um, I started a clothing brand because I wanted to meet Mac Miller. When I had migraines, all I could do like when my head wasn't hurting was listen to Mac Miller and hear like "Follow Your Dreams," mm-hmm. you know, or Rob Dyrdek's "Fantasy Factory," and you know, again, "Follow Your Dreams," like do what you love. And I'm like, why isn't anybody preaching this around here? Why is that not a thing here? Why why don't you why in high school do I have to hear about like going to school to be a teacher? Why do I have to hear about going to be a nurse? Mm-hmm. Like what why is comedy or especially comedy, but like why is there why is it following your dreams and doing what you love like truly like a thing? Um and you know, so I got into the clothing. I met Mac Miller at Wiz Khalifa and Kid Cudi, like three inspirational artists of mine within like six to seven months. I started collaborating with different people that were friends with them and then um, started managing a hip hop artist, did graphic design since I was 13, so I just got into that. Um, started doing music videos and really just started doing everything besides doing stand up to the point where we opened up for Hops and sold out crowd 300 people at the Ultra Bar before it closed down on my 21st birthday. Um, and then the next week I did my first stand up set, and that's kind of like where I started. And you asked me about Terry Jones, yeah. who was on here, and I love that episode so much. And I mean, he's such an intelligent guy, uh, hilarious no, and no very doubt. talented. No doubt. Um, but I, when I first started, I taped my first performance, and I posted it on the internet. And I basically, uh, I messaged anybody that I knew was doing stand-up here. I researched what I could, and I wrote for four months beforehand, because that's how much I was studying the game, just trying to be funny. And I messaged a bunch of comedians like, hey, can you watch this? Let me know what you think. And he was the one person that was like, bro, you have the it factor. And I was like, whoa, I have the it factor? Nah. <laughs> you know, this guy's doing comedy full time. He's doing exactly what I love. And he's like a hilarious guy. So then I quit my job for comedy. Like, dumbass, you know? I I <laughs> straight just quit my job at comedy, 21 years old. Um, and I kind of like got treated kind of poorly by the scene because of it because uh like even just in general across the country i posted in like comedian pages like hey i quit my job for comedy here's a video i basically said i wanted to get on snl um and like i'm gonna try to get on in six months so i'm just gonna grind which is like the most like the stupidest thing you could ever put on the internet like you really like how big you know i don't know how big my head was and how much confidence i had back then but it was way too much you know and (laughs) can you ever have too much confidence i think so because it hurts you you know like you can say things and you can like be a certain way that like having too much confidence if you're using it the wrong way it could definitely negatively affect you and the people around you um maybe expressing how much confidence you have that's what it is yeah yeah i guess expressing how much confidence you have which is my problem i'm like a motivational speaker naturally you know all right um i'm always trying to like get people to like be a become a better better version of themselves and wanting to help them um there's money in that too you know yeah, I've heard. I, when I first started, that was one of the things when somebody said, like, hey, why don't you just be a motivational speaker then, like, be a be a goofy motivational speaker and instead of, like, a subpar comedian. I was like, okay, it's easy, you know? Um, but, yeah, so I quit my job for comedy. I made friends with Terry. I did the improv, my third performance, though, because I had that much hype around me. Um, the craziest part is they gave me crickets, the, the one joke that didn't work well, 
and that was kind of like and the only other person that's ever happened to supposedly is like Gilbert Godfrey wait 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 back up they gave you what? crickets when one joke didn't work well at the improv they um, gave you crickets yeah <clears throat> like real crickets like on the speakers they gave me crickets no shit yeah that's horrific yeah and then the craziest part is every told me I was gonna lose everything I ended up moving into a, my dad basically I had my stepmom came into my life and my dad was like you know what we need to like have our own place so basically they were like alright you and your brother need to get your own places so I moved to Aliquippa and within literally like my second day like moving my stuff I got pulled over because my sticker was behind because I quit my job and I didn't have money and uh, I ended up losing my car and uh, I didn't have a car for two years stuck in Aliquippa <laughs> so then yeah I was hitting up my like once every three months or once a month right um but I really struggled for like two years, and then once my mom gave me this like beat up Barney colored mom van that I had growing up, I finally started getting back on stage. I got back up every single week I could. Um, I started a sketch series, like a YouTube sketch series called Tilly Vanilla, which is still up. Super goofy, right? Very goofy. Like I just right. don't worry that because it was all a lot of it was improvised. Mm-hmm. I was learning how to direct from the music videos. I I, um, I was learning how to do different like things, so I knew behind the camera, I knew how to act and improvise just from being like naturally goofy with my friends. Um, and then I learned how to edit and all this stuff. So I was busting out these episodes like once a week, and we were like Monday we think of the ideas. By by Saturday we were editing the episode and putting it up. So obviously some of them aren't going to be like good, but um, but that was that's what got me to do my improv again. I did twenty minutes set hosting at the improv that August two thousand sixteen is like my, you know, second year, uh, or like I guess third year. But um, I bombed really bad. I had my girlfriend's family out. I had like uncles and aunts and friends, and I got laughter. And like the last five minutes, I did crowd work, and that's kind of like my. I'm a people person, so like I roasted the entire crowd, and they loved that. But like, from the other aspect of it, it was kind of like what ended certain relationships in my life. Like when you invite people to a show early on, and you don't do good, they're like, you, they definitely see you a certain way. And if like if you keep pursuing this, you uh, <laughs> you might be a little fucking dead, you know. Uh, so what I you think, doing, boy? <laughs> yeah. Like, why do you do this? Who is it for? What is this material? Right, 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 um, right. I get it. I get it. But, yeah, that's kind of what got me going. And then um, I didn't even get to the second city until after I moved to L.A. for the first time. I met Polly. I got up at the comedy store on Potluck my very first day, which is not a normal thing. Um, thankfully, I, I did all right. I met Polly a week later. I hung out there every single night and um, met Polly on New Year's Eve of 2016. And then the very next day, New Year's Day of 2017, he hired me to work for him. So what was that like? What, just getting hired by him? Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, like, I I moved to L.A. like wanting to find, uh, like, a, what do you call it, like a mentor, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to find, I never had a mentor. I still kind of don't. You know, like, Paulie's, I guess, like, the closest thing I have to a mentor, but um, that's not something that comes across very easily, unless you're really pursuing something. You right. really don't find somebody that is in your lane that you really look up to. That you're like, oh, wow, I will take your advice now. Um, and I met Paulie... I knew everything about the comedy store, or at least as much as I thought I did. I introduced myself. He was like, all right, you know, it's nice to meet you, man. And I was super nervous. And then I saw other people introduce themselves. and like, hey, can I uh, pitch you a script? He's like, no, buddy, I'm good. Thank you, though. And the guy just kept going with it. And he's, like, drunk out of his mind. To the point where like, the guy was like, so this guy had a girlfriend. And they got to the point where, like, the guy asked three times. He's like, all right, I'm done. Like, I got, I'm getting out of here. Like, I'm sorry, dude, but, like, I just warned you. Like, I'm, I'm leaving. And then the girl ended up leaving the guy to go with Paulie Shore and hang out with him for the rest of the night, which is the well, wildest I've ever seen, like, meeting Paulie Shore. Um, so then later on the night, I saw him again in the hallway. Like, the back hallway is a lot where, like, a lot of the comics hang out. 
and he was just about to go up and he had two girls like on the, one girl on each side of him and i'm like hey man he's like hey you got the familiar i'm like yeah he's like tell me about yourself and i was like oh okay you know i'm from pittsburgh i did the pittsburgh improv a few, a few times and you know kind of knew he's like oh so you're green i'm like i don't know what the hell that means but yeah you know um <laughs> i'm green yeah and i was like i'm a newer guy and um he's like well you're obviously new here you're obviously new to hollywood right and i was like yeah he's like i could tell because you're smiling and you're happy and i was like oh what? why everybody out there's all fucked that's what he's saying right he's like <laughs> everybody's yeah, fucked in hollywood yeah he's like everybody's just depressed and miserable because they're not getting the opportunities they've been here for 10 years um and that's kind of what he told me he's like that was the advice he gave me right there he's like all right well this is a marathon bro like you're only a few years in you're in for the long run if and, 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 like if you are in for the long run you're gonna realize this is not easy and this is gonna you're gonna like you're gonna get through some shit um and f from that i you know i kind of learned um i don't know so I, yeah that night he gave me his number i saw him um we left he did his set it was awesome um i sat in the original room which is a different room he's in the main room I sat in the original room and I saw where like the front door was and you could see when people walk on the patio. So that when they're about to come in the back and I saw him come back in and like rush and I was like, this is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so then I, I, I walked in the back hallway as if he was going to come to me and say what's up for some reason, which right, sounds right, like the biggest, right. I got big head kind of thing, right. but he did. He's like, Hey, I was looking for you. I want to give you my number. I'm looking for a writer's assistant. Is that something you'd be interested in? And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know? And he's like, how fast can you type? And I was like, fast as you need, you know, <laughs> how I got fast you. do you need, you know? <clears throat> and, uh, the next day he literally, he's like, I'll hit you up in like a couple of days. He hit me up at like literally 8am on new year's day. And I didn't even go to sleep until four, you know, like it was like, I'm just having a good time. He's like, can you take a typing test for me real quick? And I was like, oh, sure. I failed like the first five of them. He's looking for like 80 words a minute and I got like 60, 65, 70. And I finally got one where it was like 81 and I sent it to him and he's like, hey, great job, buddy. See you tomorrow. And um, so what was that like? You show up to work there. What, what, what does work look like working for Pauly Shore? Yeah. I mean, it, it's <clears throat> interesting because uh, I went in. I went in, I want to say that Sunday or Monday, and it was like, just, it was in the comedy store, and one of the rooms up there, his office isn't there anymore, but like, it's such a legendary building already, so when you show up there during the day, it's kind of weird, because at night it has this vibe, but when you see like, dark rooms that are like, dingy during the day, it's like, this is uh, a little scary, there's like a uh, AA meeting going on, the original <laughs> room, you know, like, you're like, this is, this is, uh, this is where like, you really see the difference. No, so, seriously, they're conducting AA meetings. 100%, here. yeah, swear. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. So then I walk in, wow. and I think at the time he's he goes through assistance pretty quickly. And at the time he was in like a very that's a bad sign for you, though, right? Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> obviously it's intense, and he didn't really have a lot of comics though working for him. It was a lot of like people that were like in college, just wanting to have a fun time and like get into Hollywood, and it was too serious. But like, so you know, the first day I, I did some graphics for him. He's like, well, "What are you? You know, uh, can you work on something while we're working on emails?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I got shows coming up. Like, what what are you good at?" And I was like, uh, "I'm gonna." flyers and graphics he's like all right make a flyer for the show and then within like two hours i had a flyer for his next show and um and then you know i saw though how intense he was with like his mm -hmm. his assistants not in, like a horrible way but like more of a way that like he was trying to catch them up in such a rapid pace yeah. that they were getting very stressed out yeah and he's over their shoulder you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. and also he eats like tuna so it was like eating tuna over your shoulder and you're like okay buddy like ah, this fucking stinks you know but like <laughs> well, what no no help, help me understand <laughs> that's, that's help me up, understand but. though <laughs> it's, it's kind of fucked what uh what was his relation to the comedy store i mean he wasn't part uh, owner was he so now he is so basically 
uh, and this is something I, I'm surprised a lot of people don't know. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, no. he actually, his mom, Mitzi Shore. So that's, his dad, his dad was it. A, that's the connection. Someone, someone told me that years ago. That was his mother, and I was, I couldn't, yeah. couldn't tie it together. Yeah. So basically, at three years <clears> old, when his parents were getting a divorce, his mom got the comedy store. He's literally raised in the nightclub. Like he literally has yeah. stories of like Richard Pryor like blowing crack smoke in his face at like a young age before yeah. school. You know, yeah, 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 he's like yeah. trying to tell him to turn it down. He's like, no, like shut the fuck up, like go to bed. You know. Um, <laughs> But um, That's funny as shit. But yeah, I don't know. So I, I basically was like the comedic value in the office. You know, okay. I, at that very first day, he would like make jokes and like, oh, you're obviously not good at this. You're not good at this. You know, because I would just be typing emails like, well, you fucking suck at this. And, like, and he's like not trying to be a dick, but he's just like, let's find what you're good at. And I'm laughing the whole time. So then when his assistant, I, for the, the very first day, his assistant was there. And then for the entire first week that I was there, it was just me and him. So I'm like, I'm trying to catch up myself. I'm like getting, I understood the stress, but I'm laughing. I'm goofing off. I'm like, this, if this is my last week here, like, because he was like, I don't know how long, how long you're going to last. This is like a friendship, a new friendship. He's like, you could be a day, a week, a month, six months. You're probably not going to last more than six months. But like, he's like, <laughs> you know, like it was, it was um, intimidating, but. When his assistant came back, like, I really brought that value, so we were laughing every day. It, like, brought that culture together of, like, okay, yeah. we should get more comics in yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I helped him with video editing. I helped him with graphics. And it got to the point where I was just working so hard that, um, that oh, and he's also putting me on potluck, too, which was, like, mm. again, these are things that don't happen for any people. So for me telling you this, like, yeah. this is something that, like, I'm very blessed to have because there will be people that listen to this, like, oh, man, like, that's that can't be true. That can't be true. Like, that that is something that, like, for me, it is like I I, th I went there looking for a mentor, and I was like thankfully blessed enough to 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 get that opportunity to be a part right. of the comedy store family. Right. He even made me good for the first month before I could even open up for him, which I didn't even expect to. I just expected to like just have fun and be a part of something something cool. Um, but he was like, all right, like eventually I'll have you open up for me if you're good enough because he saw me developing material and he even helped me write my material of like what I should be talking about. Um, what was that like stepping on that stage for the first time? The comedy that had store. To be surreal. Oh yeah, I mean the first performance I actually did like two and a half minutes, but you get three, and I, oh man, I'm shit my pants. Like I was like sweating the whole time. I, you know what's crazy? When I first started comedy, I started drinking. Like I would drink before because I was like, that's what's gonna loosen me up. Because I've that's the number one fear in America is to be on stage performing in front of people. So like I didn't want to have that fear. So I was like, I'm gonna I I drink Jaeger. I'm a German and How'd Polish and Irish. And I the I mean for the first couple performances it worked out all right. But that one you I didn't know like you had to sign up. You had to wait an hour to sign up. Then you had to wait an hour to see if you got on. And then you had to wait a little bit to get up. Um, so I drank like and too I, early. I lived far too. Like I didn't have a car in LA, so I was living in uh, I was living in Glendale. Okay. Glendale was like a half hour away, okay. at least from like the from the comedy store. So I drank like sh six shots of Jaeger before I left my apartment, which is the worst thing. So like I barely remember like signing up, and then I did it, and I just had confidence, but I was super nervous and sweating profusely. Um, and then I met Preacher Lawson that day, who now is like a huge star. And this is before America's Got Talent and everything. Right. And uh, I don't remember talking to him. So, like, I met him like a day later at the improv. He's opening up for Dane Cook. And uh, and again, still before he was like blowing up. And I was like, hey, Lane, I love you. Like, I think you're great. He's like, we met last night. You told me all this stuff last night. I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck. I was like, all right, well, this is something not to do, you know? Um, so then, yeah, I mean, that first time was interesting, but the second time, that's when, when I didn't drink. I just go from the office of Pauly Shore's office down to the comedy store. You're like, I'm getting escorted to the the original room. He is putting you up on potluck early on in front of nobody, basically. It's just comedians. 
So to see Paulie Shore in the back, he had Tony Hinchcliffe, who right, uh, right, who's right. now like Joe yeah, Rogan's boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he had him in the back before his podcast, Kill Tony, was big. Um, and they both watched me, and then after they they took me in the hallway, and he was like, "Tony, you go first. What do you think?" And he's like, "Well, you had a lip joke, uh, literally like about one sentence that I thought was f- kind of funny. Everything else, uh, I'd get rid of, you know." And I was like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> and he was like, "All right, to be That's great, yeah." And then he's like, "To be honest, I feel the same way." And I was like, "Jesus, okay, this is going really good." Um, but yeah, within like, I want to say six or seven weeks, I got up four or five times, um, yeah, for my yeah. birthday that year, like February 20th, he put me up for my birthday That's crazy. and all the though. comedians definitely didn't like that. They were like, Oh, this guy, like not only is he skipping the line, so, he, didn't, he didn't even sign, like usually you sign up. He's like, I, I didn't even sign up that day and I'm getting put on. That's like to comedians there. That's kind of like, yo, fuck this guy. <clears throat> we're not, I'm not giving him any opportunities because he's getting the right opportunities. Right on. Um, and I just came, thankfully though, that performance is right after we did our first like opening spots. Um, I opened up for him at the Ontario Improv, um, Ventura Harbor Comedy Club. Um, so it was about like four or five shows. Okay. And my first time in front of 200 people, like crazy ass people. And the first time I actually did good, like that good. Um, so then I went back, did that potluck for my birthday. And then that's when like the comedian hate started and like, and then that's also when I did the ice house with Paul and I did not do very well. And he's a whole like married audience, a very different crowd from Ventura. Right, right, right. And um, right. that's when he sat me down. He's like, "All right, buddy, like I want you to develop before I can like really take you. I want to, I want you to be, be able to feature for me, and I'm not, you're not gonna be able to until you like really like develop more. You're gonna need like you know a little bit of time to like develop." Okay. Um, and this is also kind of what I'm like he my I, I was working for him. I started making a little bit of money from him, but it just wasn't enough. So I was like, he's like, you're gonna have to get like a day job too, like around this. And I was like, this is way too much stuff. So it just got like so intense. Um. But it sucked because it got to a point where no other comedians were putting me on because they thought that Pauly Shore was giving me all the stage time I needed. So it was almost like a double, it was double-edged sword almost to you. Yeah, exactly. So then I decided, you know what, I'm going to move back home. Um, I tried to get back my ex-girlfriend who I kind of broke up with for comedy. It kind of blew up in my face. Um, and then I ended up going down to Morgantown, West Virginia, just to like air myself out. My best friends, uh, my two best friends. Um, one of them I'm living with right now, Nick, he, uh, they're both named Nick, but, um, basically I moved into a townhouse down there. I went down there for a day and it ended up being like one of those things where like, this is what I needed. I needed like mm-hmm. an escape. I don't know how I didn't like Morgantown, but like, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm willing to give it a chance to work with them. So I worked at a Texas roadhouse. So I was like, just right. like, just, you know, like just the, the life I didn't want, but I, I realized I was like, okay, if I can still get stage time. Yeah, I get it. No stage time there. None at all. I had to drive two hours it. up here to, to get stage time. Right. And I was doing like the improv competition um like the, there's a couple of them and then i was also just getting up on like minimal shows but i got depressed as hell i got super depressed and i realized that like the i went into morgantown seeing like drunk al- alcoholics and even fr- people that they were friends with like becoming like kind of assholes like moments when they're drunk and i was like wow this is like these are just horrible people but then the more i was there i became that person that was like just almost like frustrated like freaking right. like like right. and in my last week for some reason like um i'll say something i've never said before on a podcast but i basically i took lsd for the first time in morgantown mm-hmm. and um it really i, I was steve jobs mac miller a lot of people that really inspired me like you know what hey like this is not where i want to be this is uh i i was i i've read a lot about it and it's not something i'm not a, i'm not a big druggy guy like i'll smoke weed or whatever but um i'm not a big drug guy and um just to see how com- it turns out for comedians especially but um lsd i was like i 
I saw Steve Jobs talk about when you really need to find your soul, really need to find like who you are and where you're meant to be. Like LSD is definitely something that he did to find that. And I did it and I I saw I watched Rick and Morty. I was like at my friend's house and I was tripping. Like I literally was like it was I would not recommend taking out Steve by mm-hmm. any means, but um but I I was like tripping and I saw Rick and Morty, the show, and they had like this uh, multiple reality thing where it was like a split screen where like two things and multiple realities are going on at the same time. So it's like all the same people, but different things are happening. And I saw myself, I saw my life and I was like, if I stay in Morgantown and I keep like dating this girl that I'm dating who wants to be in West Virginia for the rest of her life and have a family, um, I'm going to be stuck here for the rest of my life. I'm going to have a kid with her. I'm going to be stuck here. I'm not going to pursue my dreams and do what I love. The stuff that I sacrificed everything for me already, you know? Right, right, right. Um, but the <clears> right <throat> side of it, I saw Chicago. I, sh- I saw uh, moving to Chicago. My, my dad lived at the time. My mom's in Pittsburgh. My dad's in Chicago. And I saw that. And I saw Second City. And I saw, like, really SNL in my, in my mind. I was like, if I go to Chicago, it's the closest I'm going to get to getting on SNL because Second City is, like, heavily affiliated with SNL. Um, and at least I'm going to be able to do what I love and be around people that, like, appreciate goofiness because deep down, I mean, even up front, I'm, I'm a goofy person. Um, well, you have to be to be in that, that line of business, right? Yeah, but, like, I mean, to the point where, like, you're almost unaccepted by normal people because you're so goofy. Like, that's mm-hmm. who I am. Um, and... And it was just one of those things where I went to Second City, and I and I and I basically that day I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to move to Chicago and go to Second City and finally go to the college I've always wanted to. Um, and within a week, that that next week, I got into a fight with my best friend that like I didn't plan on happening, and we got into this giant fight. We weren't like really talking. I got into two fights in a row, like two days in a row with like cooks there. Both of them were like this one was like an older guy that just hated his life, and I was telling my about the first fight, my best friend. I was telling my other best friend about it at work. Well, as soon as I was done talking about it, the other guy, this this like cook was like, "Hey, uh, are you done talking about your fucking stupid uh, home bullshit at work? Can you get the fuck back to work?" And I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, go fuck yourself. Like, I don't give a fuck about this place. I really don't. You know, like I'm here for my friends." And that was like the second fight. The first fight was like a baker that like I dropped his coat on accident because I was getting a girl croutons or some shit, and he like <laughs> got to my face and wanted to fight me. <laughs> you know, and I'm a nice person. By the end of the day, I drove him home because that's who I am. You know. Um, but it was just bizarre. And then the third day when that guy got in my face, I was like, what? I was like, get the fuck. Are you fucking kidding me? And he literally got in my face. was like about to like fist fight me. And I was about to rock this dude's world. Like I was stressed, you know, instead I walked outside. I punched, uh, uh, like a locker outside, which still has a pretty big dent in it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a strong guy, but, uh, but, uh, and I, I basically drove off. I basically went to the gym and then my friend texted me and said, Hey, come back to work or like you're fired. And I was like, well, I was like, you know that guy if you can like take him take him out i'll work and he's like no you're gonna work with him and i was like fuck that i'm out and i packed my stuff and i left and um thankfully my friend forgave me and i you know i'm living with him now until i move out obviously but um but that was kind of like the the moment in my life where i realized you know what it's time to really again to start making decisions for me mm-hmm. are you at some point you gotta be selfish at some point like i do i do a lot for other people of course um but I had selfish moments that got me into this position. I needed to be selfish to get myself out of this position, go to a city where it's brand new again, fresh start. Um, I saw how hard LA was, but I heard good things about Chicago. And then when I got there, I realized that like, you can get up like LA can get up maybe two or three times a night, but like sometimes most of the time you're gonna have to pay money in order for that to happen. And you have to travel like, uh, like hours sometimes depending on traffic, whatever. Um, and sometimes wait three hours. I mean, to get no last from anybody. Right, right. Whereas Chicago is like, I was able to like walk a couple blocks and get up three times in a night, mm-hmm. meet the right people. Mm-hmm. And then, um, 
that year when I started Second City, within like a month, I realized like, wow, like you ever like you ever feel like this is something you're born for? Mm-hmm. You know, I, that was like going into Second City within a week. I realized like this is exactly what I was born to do. Like, huh. like just not even just improv, but like just being a comedian and like making people laugh and smile because like I wouldn't say that I was like a standout in my class, but like my whole class is very talented and I, it was like, like I have moments where like I black out where like I, I'm having so much fun. I'm in the mode. I'm in, I'm in that zone of being goofy so much Got that it. like time flies and you don't remember it. Because you're like, like it happens. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld went on the Tonight Show when he went back to comedy in like 2000, and he had that moment happen to him. And he's like, I just blacked out. I was like, and he, so you watch it set later because he really didn't remember it. Like that happened to me. Um, I went to, I was telling you about Meadville. I was in Meadville um, Friday night, and I did 23 minutes for the first time in a while. I got to finish the show, and I honestly I had a pretty good set in my mind, um, but I honestly don't remember three fourths of it. Like I was just so hmm, like, that's interesting. I was so in the zone, and that's where I know that I'm like back in it. Like again, like I'm yeah. feeling comfortable because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and when like that's gonna hopefully that happens to me this week. You know, like yeah. probably have every show is like that. But accomplished musicians say very something very similar to that. Like if they're having an exceptionally good show, they just know it's a great show, but they can't go back and reflect on it because they just don't remember. Because you're like it. so in it, like it becomes natural. Like it literally becomes the point where like you know, like especially when you know your material so well, mm-hmm. it's just coming out of you. Like it's it like becomes part of you. It, yeah, like it's. Uh, I don't even know how to like explain you that, that every night, right? That's the yeah, thing. You get I mean, I hope, where, but like yeah. at the same time, it's almost kind of sad because you're like you realize like how short life actually yeah, is. Absolutely, because you're like, wow, like that moment I don't get back. Right, but like I would not want any other moment but that moment ever again. Right, you know. Right. Um. So that was something when I went to Second City. That's what I realized, and I, I also realized like how to be a character, how to be like they well, teach talk, you. Talk about Second City. So this is a college for comedy. College for comedy. Yeah, it's literally like. So what is that like? I mean, what what what, what is that? What, well, it was how, almost like a Disney cruise of comedy. Like it's one building that has, and they just sold the building, and like obviously like everything was shut down, so that kind of sucks. And I don't know. Hopefully everything gets back to normal of like the way it was there. Right. But basically it's like a Disney cruise of comedy. There's like a parking garage. There's like a a, a Chipotle underneath a Starbucks that like all these writers are at at every given hour uh there's seven different stages of all different sizes two of them are considered like the main stages where if you work hard enough you get on the second one after like so many years if you work hard enough and you i mean again you're and these are hand-picked people so like you might never people expect to after 15 years and still never get it right um but the main stage is where you see like that's where steve Carell starred tina fey all those guys um is it when I was growing up, there was Second City Television. Yeah, SCTV. It's the same, it's just, is it the same organization? Yeah, yep. So it was a Canadian thing originally. Yeah. So, but I think like John Candy, I think like people, you uh-huh. know. Um, Rick, Rick, I think Rick Moranis, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was all, they have pictures of them on the walls and everything. So there's like, I mean, again, it's like, like I say, it's almost like a, a Disney cruise, but it's kind of like Hogwarts. Like the way that like, <laughs> the way that like there's like staircases going different ways and you see like pictures of people, like almost it's as if they're moving and you're like, wow, oh, man, I got like Chris Farley's eyes on me right now. Um, but then there also is like classrooms in the film school. So the film school is something new they opened up a few years ago. And that's actually where I met a lot of my friends because they have some of the stages in that area, but they also have like a giant green room, like filming uh, studio. So it's a videography as well. Yeah. But they, that's where like some of the improv classes are. Okay. Um, and then they have like this uh, green room or this uh, movie theater. So they're like displaying all the okay. projects. So I would like meet people at like the Second City Open Mic. Like my first second week, I met a couple people that I'm like still close friends with. Got it. One of them I moved in with, um, and 
you know, they started they started seeing me do stand up. They started introducing me to their friends, and they're like, "Bro, I gotta put you in my skit for for Second City." And I was like, "Sure." Oh, hey, I gotta put you in my short film. Hey, I gotta put you in this. So there was opportunities for collaboration. Yeah, a ton. Because and this is like a clubhouse. So there's cubby holes. There's like people just tables and like couches. Like I literally would nap be, between classes, and like nobody cared. Like, the only people, time they care is if it's, like, a homeless person. They could tell that, like, they had their clothes with them and everything. But, like, I literally would, like, pass out there on accident for, like, four hours because I wasn't sleeping. I worked three jobs and all this. Like, I took three jobs. I was working three jobs. I had an improv class two times a week for three hours. I was doing uh, open mics. And then I got to a point where I was producing, like, two shows at the same time. Like, it was – I was not sleeping at all. Um, so when I was there, I was, like, half asleep just goofing off. But it was so cool to be able to run into your friends that are, like, working on sketches for YouTube or right. – they're working on their stand-up or they're working on a, a, a pitch packet uh, and you right. find out that day that uh a tv show is hiring like the M- michelle wolf show was hiring back in the uh, a couple years ago and you found out that she was hiring and she's looking for packets for two more days you're like okay well fuck well i guess i'm not sleeping tonight i'm gonna write this pack with my friends and try to see if we become writers on a tv show right um so it was just stuff like that and then to be able to run in um i got an internship at the laugh factory out there and to be able to run into chris red and talk to him for like 10 minutes it was actually the night I got fired, but because uh, I I let a girl in for free and I smoked weed with like a bunch of comedians because I'm a comedian, you know. But like I got to the point where like Roy Wood Jr. was there and I helped them with like social media. So I like I brought Roy Wood up um, and they did an interview with him. And then I talked to Chris Red about improv and he was telling me about like how improv is so crucial for stand up because. Mm-hmm. While he's working on his sets, he's changing up the material. He's adding punchlines based on what the crowd's liking. Um, he's really changing up every single thing he can, like uh, the way he moves his mouth, the way he moves his arms, um, just his delivery, the timing. Is that all part of the curriculum there? Like teaching you how to teach you. If every- you take stand up, but even the stand up's not that big there. Like at, at Second City, mm-hmm. the stand up's not that big. You learn, even Chris Red will tell you, like, you learn stand up like grinding and open mics. Um, but Second City, like when you do, like there is people that I've, I know that took the stand-up classes and they learned a lot and they learned how to be funny, learned how to get that stage time in front of good audiences. And, right. um, you know, so that's definitely a blessing. I'd recommend that, but at the same time, like you don't need it. Mm-hmm. And I know what's better is to eat shit sometimes in the early days. Cause I mean, I was blessed that my first performance went well enough yeah. that that helped me get traction. But again, like I said to you, like by doing that and getting traction, it's not always the best thing. Some people mm-hmm. don't want to see you do good because mm-hmm. of that. So it's intimidating. It almost makes you want to quit. But, um, but I yeah. think that's what the in I think that's what the average person who just knows what stand up is they really don't understand. You go to a comedy club and you see you may know the headliner you don't know who's in front of them and you just see them they performance they either bomb or they do good and you go home. The average person doesn't understand what it took even to get there to get to that point as you know an undercard. You know that yeah. what it takes even to get the courage involved to go do that, just the courage alone, the courage alone to do that, right? Let alone the grinding and how long, and then the, finding what's funny and, and dying on stage how many times? And yeah, average person doesn't get it. Well, including the, me. And the, to summarize two things, like the improv aspect, like seeing these people open up at the improv. There's even this new comic that I put on my showcase recently at McKee's Rocks. I just sold out. I mean, I don't want to say You know, I sold out a show. Kevin Budkey for the first one I ever did that and sold out to that Parkway Theater. Um, but there was a comedian I put on. I, I reached out to the open mic scene. I was like, hey, I'm looking for guest spots. I have a few left. I want to just reach out to some up-and-comers and give them some opportunity. 
um, and this one guy came out as you know we call I guess his, his stage name Z, but um, he's only been he only performed a few times, and he's been doing the online open mics and stuff. And yeah. He did really good, and he even sat. I drove home. I was like, hey, let me just we took him out to eat, and we drove him home. And I was like, hey, like he's asking me all these questions. He's like, how do you become like a guest spot at the improv? They become improv like um, hosting and featuring, etc. And I was like, honestly, like you kind of need it in. You kind of need to go to their open yeah. mic or like need it in. Yeah. But I'm even at a point now where like I produce sold out tour shows across the country. Paulie Shore took me to the Chicago Improv, and he literally with the bookers. He's like, Bud Key, Bud Key, Bud Key's King. He's like having them like talk with them, like sing with us, Bud Key's King. And he's like, You're gonna put Bud Key on, right? You're gonna keep putting Bud Key on. I never heard back from them. You know wow. what I'm saying? Like it's just it. And I had a good set, but I, I it's um that's a unique interesting aspect in it alone but so it's all politics then some of it you know not, not, not the politics that we think about politics but it's it's political the in way a, the maneuvers are done within within the comedy world i mean that but also like certain material they're looking for i mean when we did the chicago improv the people that had a feature and open they they found out 10 minutes before their sets they had to do clean material you know what I'm saying? But then for me, he's like, hey, have fun, buddy. You know? And I fucking mm-hmm. did five minutes swearing and talking about my balls, you know? And you're just like, <laughs> you know, so it's, it was just an interesting perspective. But like Second City, like that is, they literally, their motto is like, find your funny. And what they teach you as far as improv um, is becoming a character. Like they'll be like, all right, this is your name, uh, Steve. I'm like, all right, my name's Steve. Like, all right, Steve Franklin, you know? It's probably someone famous. I don't know. But, <laughs> Um, they're like, all right, you're Steve Franklin. How does he walk? How does he talk? Yeah. You know, what is his demeanor? What is he allowed for? What is his goal in life? You know, how does he treat people? You know, and then they're like, all right. And then they put you in like these scenes where like you basically would have lines of two lines. And then one by one, you're getting matched up with random people and having a scene with these people. Right. And then they're telling you kind of like what your goal is to get out of the scene, you know? So then you're having a conversation as this person. You're walking as them. You're doing your thing. And you're learning how to like become like, you know, uh, I learned when I was doing the shows how to like just do physical stuff without even having to talk. Like you can really get a lot of laughter from being a physical comedian. Mm-hmm. And um, well, Farley was right. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's kind of when I my first like couple weeks, I was like this loud, obnoxious guy. Like I was like bringing my Farley in and then like, all right, Farley, settle down. Now I'm trying to do it without yelling and screaming and being like yeah. so outlandish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. Like you learn how to put everything into it, like physical and and just everything you have. Um, but it's just interesting. It's interesting because you see people that take that class because they want to for fun. Yeah. And then you see them come out and they're like, all right, I'm getting spots at Laugh Factory now because I just auditioned there and I smack cheeks on stage, you know? And you're like, wow, this is, holy crap. You just turned an amateur into somebody, you know? And then LA is like the next level of that where I got to see literally once a week somebody go from like being homeless to getting a TV credit and their life changing. And it was like, that is like, so you're seeing, you know, Second City and like Chicago is where you see these people find they're funny la is where they've turned their funny into a career right and right, right. um yeah but how often does that happen once a week i'm telling you like i'm telling you literally going to the comic <clears> store <throat> every single week i'd find i'd see one person that would get put up because they literally just got a tv credit so on, they so they have it they whatever that it is or they just had an opportunity they yeah they they were prepared for that like chris red told me he's like be prepared for the opportunity if you're prepared no matter what, as long as you're prepared, mm-hmm. something will come up because that's how comedy happens. Yeah. You'll get hit up 30 minutes, especially in Chicago. They'll be like, oh, hey, you have 30. I uh, wish somebody just backed out of a half hour spot. Can you come here in 15 minutes and do a half hour? And you're like, uh, yeah, you know. But if you're not prepared for that and you bomb, you're never getting that opportunity again, or at least yeah, for a yeah, few yeah. years, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of what LA was. These people are prepared. They literally live in their car, you know. Wow. Like, like Tiffany Haddish lived in her car. A lot of people live in their car, and um, to the point where they're literally thinking about stand up 
all day, every day, nonstop. They have no money, but the money they do make are putting into open mics to get better. Um, and you got to respect that hustle, and you got to understand, appreciate, it and yeah, it's, it's it inspired like, by it, it. Sounds like an insanely difficult. You got to really fucking want it. Definitely, yeah. You know? I mean, I've sacrificed everything for comedy, and I've lived in probably eleven or twelve different places now. And the seven years I've been doing stand up, I've lost a ton of friendships. Um, which some of them, I guess, my fault because I I'm just so busy that I'm not like talking to people all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Can you articulate what that drive is inside, like what keeps me going. Uh-huh. I mean, honestly, I think it's the fact that like one of them is definitely my mom. Like mm-hmm. to see my mom go through breast cancer and mm-hmm. still be fighting to this day, and especially after the divorce they got into, like she's finally at a point after ten years or so of like finally being where she needs to be to like be stable, and that. I've done everything over the years to like when I do make money to look after her because there's times where she couldn't pay rent and same thing for me she's like looked after me and kept me going so I think one thing that keeps me driven is knowing that if I work hard at this this is one of those things where you know your life can change overnight and I want to be prepared for that moment where I can go to my mom like hey here's rent for a year you know here's here's Mm -hmm. a new house or like whatever you know like be able to like be there for her and keep her going and I also want to be what drives me to be successful quicker and to work harder is because i don't know how long my family's gonna be around i don't have grandparents you know mm-hmm. um so I, I i work hard because i want to be not only happy myself and see my friends be happy and successful but i also just want to be there for my family and see them like see me become successful and to be able to help them because if i would feel heartbroken if my family passed away and then i became successful and i'm like what is this for or who am i giving this to who am i you know it's like um the guy that plays uh, Keanu Reeves, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the same kind of like story of like, I, I that's such a sad story of like his family passing away and now he just gives his money away because he's like, I don't even need it. Like, what do I, what do I need money for? I don't need money to be happy. And money's not about happiness. Um, but I mean, I've definitely sacrificed my, myself and have driven hard because, you know, at the end of the day, like it, 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 it's life changing to be able to go up on stage and bring a smile to somebody's face. You don't know what people are going through. So if you're if you're gifted enough to be able to like change somebody's life in some way, like mm-hmm. why won't you do everything you can to do that? Yeah. Um, and again, life short, like and especially for like comedians' lives and even my family, it's like, you know, like I might only live until I'm 55. I might only live until I'm 33. Like I don't know. Like I, I that's why I don't go into like hardcore drugs or anything. Like I'm I'm not in my mind. I'm like, bro, that's only gonna make your life shorter. Like mm-hmm. my life's already short. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think if anything, my sleep schedule's fucked, and that's maybe what might hurt me in the long run. But, um. But at the end of the day, I just, I really just want to bring a smile to people's faces and bring a smile to my face and, you know, just bring that positivity to the room and that energy. What's that like being on stage? If you can't articulate it, what is it like being on stage when it's going good, when you're getting the reaction you want and you see the smiles, you see the laughter, you hear claps, and then conversely, when it's not going so good and you see stone face or you see grimaces or you start to hear it? Yeah. Um... Two uh, peaks of uh, of your existence, right, you know. Right. Uh, I think when you're having a good set, like I think on Friday, like I said, I was, I was almost like blacking out because I was having such a good time, and um, I felt when you are make people laugh, it is. I mean, it's probably like being in the highest high of your life, you know. I mean, that's probably why there's certain people that do pursue this path that get into hardcore drugs because if you have, let's say, a peak moment of your life where you're in front of 400 people and you're making them laugh and waves of laughter right and then two weeks later you're not even getting up on stage anymore that can you know that's that's drastic i mean that peak emotion of 400 people laughing because of you saying words is 
it's like being like a preacher, I guess, or like feeling like Jesus, you know, you're like, wow. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm feeling praised. Um, and I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a high. It's, it's mm-hmm. like the greatest feeling in the world, I think. But yeah, the opposite where, you know, I did the, my first set back a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, for this year, I, I got up and I was, I did 15 minutes up front, you know, and they're like, all right, like, you know, typically like I go a little bit later, I'm a feature guy now, you know, I'm like getting to the point where I can probably headline. Um, and I want to first in front of a free, free show. Like, I don't really like free shows because that's typically when audiences aren't very good. They're, they, they're there to bullshit. They're there to just like, Hey, uh, Betty, want to go out tonight? Let's get a drink and fuck around. You know? I heard the free laughs, you know, like, fuck, if you get free laughs, why wouldn't you get free laughs? You know? Um, but you know, half the crowd wasn't paying attention. They were there to eat and celebrate. Somebody was having a baby. So they're like old tables, like celebrating, cheering and talking real loud. And you're like, I'm like, Hey, I'm this. I'm this guy that like, brings me up, like, you know, like a touring act and everything. So you expect like the crowd to like be appreciative of it, of it. And there's, you see the tables that are, and then you see all these tables that are like, all right, bro. Like, I'm not even here for this. Like, can you shut up? You know? And they're like, ah, you know, so I'm doing my material. And then like, there's a guy, uh, I don't know, bro. I, I basically when you're not doing good and, and you don't feel the energy in the room, you don't want to be there. You do not want to be there. You don't want to, I mean, it sounds bad to say, cause I'm at a point now where I don't feel like like I'm fine with accepting the bombs now and I'm fine accepting the moments where it's not going that good. So I don't feel like rock bottom anymore. But when you're starting out and you don't do good, especially oh, it has to be devastating. it's, it's honestly, yeah, it's uh, like getting your heart broken. Especially over if and over they again. give you like five minutes and you, and you, you know, you feel nothing from the beginning. So you're 30 seconds in or a minute in and you're like, you're dying, right? Well, you the know craziest... you got four minutes to go. Yeah. I mean, the craziest part is like, you don't really, you're not into stand up as much as I am, but like you see people that are starting out or even people that are in the game for a while and they still won't get a laugh for the first minute and to me that's like eek, oh, you know now i'm at the point now where i shoot for like eight punchlines my first minute i'm aiming for like eight laughs in that first minute because i want there to be such a warm feeling of me getting right. up there they're like well right. who what right. box did this guy come out of like it's like the you know that whatever that thing is that the guy pops out like that's literally me when you bring me up on stage um and yeah, so I, I think now it's the point where like I will never, I will do everything I can to get away from that feeling, and especially in the first minute. And within that first minute, I'll know like, okay, this is gonna be a good night, or this is gonna suck. And mm. typically, if I'm if I'm feeling groovy and I'm a minute, I'm I'm being extra. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll be like, hey. like I'll be like, I'll throw in like the weirdest like way of saying things to the point where I'm just like, I'm gonna do everything I can to make this guy puke laughing, you know, like. <laughs> Um. Yeah. What's your What was your worst time? Your Do you remember your very worst? Your worst. My worst experience time. in front of people. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think not even in front of like a large crowd of people, but my second performance. So after the first one, I got invited to an open mic in Mount Washington, and. I invited my every obviously my family and friends saw the videos that I posted my my first performance and especially I had to quit my job I was like okay right. why did he quit his job let's see what this guy's about right right, right. Um, but then my second performance I got invited to an open mic in the basement of a like a dingy like a just scrappy bar in Mount Washington and the basement so this thing's like concrete you're sitting in like concrete like basically like chairs like there's somebody had like some fold up chairs too <laughs> just like you know like you're, it's the worst of the worst and I invited my girlfriend my aunt my mom okay so they all came out I'm wearing a Power Ranger costume because that's where my first performance which is the last time I ever wore that <laughs> and then every single comedian that came knew who I was so literally for everybody's sets for all five minutes of everybody's sets they literally roasted me and like thinking about it i would have too 
You know, because that's hilarious. Wow. Like, this guy's bringing a Power Ranger <laughs> costume, and he's bringing his family and friends out. We're going to destroy this guy in the basement of a, you know... Oh, man. How so, much you deserved it, huh? Yeah, so when I went up, I literally didn't get any laughter at all. My aunt was laughing a little bit, but she saw the video, so she wasn't really like, you know... <laughs> that's probably the end of my relationship then, you know? Uh, my mom, thankfully, still loves me and will go out and see me, but that was she didn't come out for at least a that's year. That's got to be hard for family, though, right? I mean, yeah. a, a new a new person in stand-up. Well, especially when a young Power Ranger costume, though. Like, what is this, Halloween? You know, it's fucking What possessed you to do that? Like, where did that idea come from? Uh, I was working at the airport at the time, and... Um, and I had a manager who like used to go to this comedy show in Dallas, which is ironic as hell now. But um, he said there was a show that they would throw like tomatoes or like some vegetable at the comedians if they weren't doing good. Okay. So he said that like you would really see like the best and the worst of people and yeah. like what made people funny. So yeah. he thought he knew what funny was. Right. So he was like, "Well, aren't you going to dress up? Like that's what real good comedians do. Like that's what's going to make you stand out is if you dress up." I was like, well, "What do you mean by I've that?" I've never he's seen like, that. Well, Eddie Murphy. He's like, he's talking about Eddie Murphy. He's like, "Oh, I'll dress okay. up like that." I'm like, "All right, give me a four thousand dollars suit, you know." Okay. Right, or like a right. you know uh, whatever and he was like he's like oh wear something so i was like well i don't want to go up on stage thinking i'm selling them a <laughs> fucking timeshare you know so i bought a power ranger costume like this would be the furthest i want them to think like will ferrell's going up there and just goofing off you know um so that's what i did I, and it was i mean that's kind of what loosened up that my first performance and why that kind of went kind of well but um but yeah, that's definitely not the move. I would not recommend. <laughs> if it's like a theme show, maybe that's not the move. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, but I think like in general, it's just about being yourself. And yeah, you can easily come across that way if you're getting into stand up or doing stand up without yeah. any of that. Because it's it's a shtick, you know. It's like mm -hmm. it's you're giving you're finding a way to like put on a front mm -hmm. so that people find you goofy ahead of time. It's it's like cheating to mm -hmm. other people, you know. Okay, um, comedians that are on this show that are a little older than you who have a very vivid memory of the pre-internet days compared to the internet days. Yeah. I typically ask them the following question. I say, what's your thoughts, what's your real thoughts on podcasting in the podcasting world as opposed to the pre-podcasting world with the idea that it appears that it would be harder for you folks now because there's just so many opportunities to put material out there. Yeah. Where prior, you wouldn't have to constantly keep coming up with material because there was limited possibilities of exposure. Does that make any sense? Like, mm -hmm. I would imagine now if you're jumping on to do as much media as you can, you're jumping and doing things, do you ever, like, run out of gas? Do you get to the point where, like, holy shit, I don't know if I want to keep throwing all of my good stuff out there i want to save it for certain venues that's kind of where i'm it almost seems like it would be harder now to be a comedian because you always have to keep coming up with more and yeah, more stuff because there's yeah. more and more opportunities to expose yourself right does it, that make any sense oh 100 and i think i have like multiple answers i think one to bring back prior he was living in a day and age where literally every time he performed it was a recording of an album you know what I'm saying? At least like early on. He was like doing these performances. He wasn't getting up all the time like earlier right. earlier in his career when he was putting out albums. Right. Like at least what I was like studied is that he would literally like vanish. He would come back to a performance and that performance was the album. He'd come back, vanish, and that was literally so he's like every time he performed, it was like this like giant it was a thing. It, it was a giant thing, you know? Um and he was also building that supply and demand. But I think nowadays it's like 
you're right. Like you, it you got to keep coming up with new material because one, material does get old the more you do it. Right. But two, yeah, with the social media aspect, I mean, that's why I think you have to be picky and choosy of like how much you are on social media and where you're at in your career because I do think everything is about timing. I do think mm-hmm. that like if you're becoming successful, if you're getting like a million followers, or if you had like a hundred thousand even, or even fifteen thousand, you're getting to a point where like you got to be putting out consistent. Right. quality product right um because you're you're gonna lose that momentum if you don't yeah and that yeah, momentum yeah. is everything to you because that's only your way to get put on and like continue to do what you love um and get like endorsement deals or whatever but then that's your way to like put on other people mm-hmm. um so yeah i think for me i've been kind of picky and choosy of what i put on the internet and how often because i really would like to put out an album first and then use that material so basically i'm at a point now where i have basically like an album kind of like almost done mm-hmm. and i've been working on it for years and i've announced it every year basically for the past like four years just because i'm like okay this is gonna be it this is gonna be it this is gonna be it and then you find something else you're like oh this is what i gotta add to it this is what i want to add to it this is what i want to add to it and you only want to make it better especially for your debut album um but i'm also with my brand stay happy i've been filming like my one of my close friends told me recently he's like you're blessed enough that like your whole career has been like like documented Mm-hmm. I have so many videos of me on stage. I have yeah. so many pictures and like behind the scenes. And so we have this like stay happy documentary that's like eventually will come out. Um, and it's not a priority right now because there's other bigger projects that I want to do first so that we can show that aspect of what got me there. Right. right. Um, but it's good to have all that in the, in the bag. Right. So for me, it's like when I f- do feel like I'm starting to really pop off and I feel like I'm getting to a point mm-hmm. where people respect me. I'm starting to get attention, but mm-hmm. um, and people are understanding that I'm goofy, but I'm still not fully showcasing it yet. Got it. Because I'm waiting for that. That right moment where like i finally announced something big got it and then i build that momentum like uh mac miller for instance i don't know if you followed his career but he basically got to the point where he put out kids um a mixtape and my dad was actually like uh part owner of the club uh, club zoo in downtown when i was around and he actually did the debut his uh for kids he did the debut concert at club zoo and mm-hmm. my dad actually was like hey do you want to meet mac miller like the mm-hmm. day before and i was mm-hmm. like that's another fucking white rapper. I don't, you know, I don't care about him. You know, like I was like, who's this? You know, like he's not gonna be Eminem. And then all of a sudden, like two weeks later, the whole school's listening to him. I was like, I fucking love this guy. It's awesome. Um, but you know, to see like to see how he treated that mixtape and to see how he treated like the buildup of that, to build an audience in his hometown, use that footage from the hometown show to sell out the rest of the shows across the country. And then to build up to the point where he got on the cover of XXL freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, so then from then on, he's releasing all this content just right. nonstop to right. build that fan base. Right. And that's when his career took off. Like really? So for me, it's like, I'm waiting for that like XXL freshman type of moment where I'm getting showcased in front of the right people for the right, like whether it's a show or whether it's, you know, whatever it is. And then that's when I'll be like, here's all of this stuff, Got whether it. it's good material, bad material. I mean, this summer before, you know, I don't know when I'm putting out an album. Um, I want to somewhere like later in the year, but if it doesn't happen until next year, it is what it is. Um, but I, there is something like minimal, basically weekly series that I'll start doing that involves stand up and that involve like podcasting type stuff. Yeah. Um, because you've got to keep putting out content. But as far as podcast, I think it's interesting that a long form of content mm-hmm. is still getting traction and almost like is blowing up. So it's incredible. In a short form of content type of day and age. Mm-hmm. Like think about TikTok. It's like 15 well, second to one minute videos. Okay, so that, that's the whole premise of why we're sitting here because I don't like sound bites. We are the anti sound bite. That's what this show is. We're the anti sound bite. And the initial thought would be that it'll never work. You know, you're and saying then, the clips of the show. 
I don't. Yeah, we, we you know we don't market the show because we're non sponsored. I mean, if, if things change down the line and we get different kinds of traction, we'll, we'll probably cut up and put previews in things like that. I mean, it's a time component for me right now. Definitely. Yeah. But I'm saying we're the anti soundbite in regards to we really have bought into the concept of we go unedited. And people come and pick and choose. They can watch the whole thing, listen to the whole thing. They can grab pieces here, pieces there. Whatever. We don't care. Yeah. But people seem to be the, the playthrough of the shows is remarkable, and like people buy into the idea of sitting there and absorbing themselves in someone else's that's, conversation, which to me seems nuts. Yeah. Especially for but how, it's yeah, for real, and, it, yeah. and and we didn't invent that. Rogan and, and Adam Carolla, and I, I think even Howard Stern to a degree, kind of. Bought into that long form interview, yeah, and the public's got a thirst for it, man. I don't know what the hell that translates to comedy. I mean, what's what's the longest comedy um, event you've done? Is it thirty eight minutes? Is it, is it is like as far as my set? Yeah, how what's thirty? The, so yeah. thirty. Do you, so, do you aspire to do even longer than that? Can you oh, see 100%. yourself doing yeah, sixteen yeah. minutes I mean, straight? I, I would not do stand up if I didn't see myself putting out like hour specials at some okay. point. Okay, well, in in this in a different kind of translation, it's the difference between you and I sitting down and recording twenty minutes of stuff, me cutting it up and putting four minutes of that best of the twenty out there as our interview. Right? I have yeah. no interest in doing that. There's nothing real about that. Yeah, and I would think comedians kind of get. That's why I like having comedians on the show because. It's just that's as real as you're gonna get. I mean, right. you go up there with your balls hanging out, and you're just gonna <laughs> let it go, and that's the record. That is the show, right? Yeah. So you get it as a comedian. You get the idea of like just it's completely authentic. But we're doing the same thing in a more relaxed, non-comedic fashion. Yeah. We're just letting the conversation go, and yeah. people seem to dig it. No, and I respect it. I, think I don't especially... get it. I don't understand why, but they do. I think it's because you're a real person. I think it's it comes down to what podcast. There's not many podcasts that people are going to listen to for over an hour. Like, I've mm -hmm. even talked to, like, some of my friends about it that have podcasts. They're like, we kind of lose traction if we have an episode longer than 30 minutes or an episode longer than an hour or whatever. Um, I think for you, you're very successful because you're an organic guy. You're very personable. And, you know what I'm saying? You're not trying to find an agenda. You're just trying to, like, learn about somebody, have a good time, like, live in the moment with somebody. And I right. think people respect that. Same thing with Joe Rogan. I think it's like... You don't expect the stuff to come out of his mouth that comes out of his mouth, mm -hmm. especially when you have Elon Musk on two or three times. Right. How? What the hell are you going to talk about next? You know, like mm -hmm. that's where you're like, find out next time for four mm -hmm. hours. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but, it, but it's interesting, you know. Um, and I think with podcasts, if it is an entertaining enough podcast, people are gonna like do their dishes. You know, I hope somebody at home being productive right now will listen to this. You know, I don't know. Um, and that's the crazy part. Our, down, our audio downloads are surprisingly good, but I didn't start the show for the audio portion. I knew a podcast was an audio first, video was a sideshow. We did it reverse. Yeah. If I couldn't do a cool looking video show, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Because to me, that's that's I need to have that visual as yeah, a consumer. Same, same. As a consumer, I, I do right. better when I can see as opposed to just listen. Definitely. But the audio downloads are nuts because I don't even pay attention to them. And I'm starting to look at the, the, the Google and the Apple numbers. I'm like, holy shit, people are actually like putting this on their phone and like I don't know what they're doing with it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's surprising to me that people will buy into this. And, and I think comedians do well in this format, which is where I want to head with my next question. Why do you feel, with all the challenges about come, keep constantly coming up with new uh, material, do comedians migrate to podcasts? Is it because of the long form? 
I mean, it helps. I definitely will listen back to like most podcasts that I'm on. Wanted to just see how much a goofer I am, just how much embarrassing I am to myself or whoever. Um, but also, too, it's because of the fact that like there's jokes that you'll say or things that you'll bring up that you don't even think about bringing up on stage. Got it. And you're like, wow, that actually was a great story. Got it. Um, Got it. You know, I, I and especially for me, like improvising wise, I think you know there's certain moments that I have on podcasts where I'll go on like a. a you know, a five minute chunk where I just improvise a bunch of stuff with somebody talking about a topic and you're like, dang, like, okay, current events, topics, right, like there's, right, right. there's always things you can expand on and how you're talking about finding new material to talk about. Mm-hmm. This is where we find the material. So Interesting. I cannot imagine how much of Joe Rogan's podcast actually turns into jokes on stage. Oh, it has to. Right. It has to. And just is that all that different human interaction. And that's where for me personally, um, I, I'm the, the least funny person you ever want to meet, but I think I get it with comedians because really it is about that human exchange. Yeah. that That's where the essence of, of where you, not only your material comes, but probably why you're standing up there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like you have a unique perspective. Typically, if you're doing stand-up, you have like a unique perspective of, of something. You know, something that makes you stand out. I mean, that's where comedians don't succeed, and that's why 99% of people that do stand-up, you don't know because mm-hmm. they're not doing very well mm-hmm. uh, they're not making money it's, it's because the fact that they're not unique enough they're not standing out i mean it sounds bad but like typically good looking people aren't successful in stand-up and comedy and like just in mm. comedy like attract the people or i mean they're in movies and tv shows because they are a, a unique look um but typically people that are very successful in my mind have something that is like ugly about them you know whether it's your face whether it's like whether it's like something they've gone through like look at joey diaz sam kinison yeah, Stephen I mean, they all have something that is like Some a little unique character exactly about them. Yeah, and it, it could be like they're the way they deliver. It could be right. you know that's for me. Like I'm just that goober on stage. I'm like I bring out so many different things about me that I've found how to learn from the comics store how to write punchlines. Yeah. I've learned uh, the you're, second you're an animated guy. Yeah, animated improvising, and then with the comics store again, the punchline aspect though, it's like I can write a joke like everybody else. But when you can add the act out, I mean, riding, you know, uh, a donkey in the woods, you know, it's kicking somebody in the face or something like, you know, like when you can add those different uh, objectives and uh, specifics, that's what makes you stand out. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, I don't know what that, I was that. Can you, can you be, can you be overexposed as a comic? Case in point, I had yes. a, a friend of mine, which I, I, I'm, I'm blessed to have his friendship, uh, Craig Gass, the comedian. Craig was on the show. Yes, okay. Um uh, earlier this year and uh he just said that you know when it came to youtube he he had to somewhat kind of watch how many times same or similar material gets put up there because he's not in control of that right people are filming him he could be in an airport you know holding court for four or five friends and someone's got their camera out or whatever so right. he just has to be aware of how much content is out there mm-hmm. uh, it isn't that he monitors it every day but he says he has to be at this point in his career kind of aware and it isn't that you want to be you want to you want to concentrate on overexposure but you somewhat have to manage it he was very cognizant of that yeah i mean i definitely think there you can definitely overly expose yourself for sure i mean i it's gonna crazy because i said my first open mic but um you know was that performance that i wore the powering costume but i actually did stand up um i went to a new year's party um a few months before that and my dad and like basically like my uncle and family and friends 
and they they brought like they got this new like karaoke setup and microphone stuff and everybody was drinking i drank a little too much and um and i i basically did stand up in front of them i was like hey i've been working on stand for a few months can i try it out so for, i did two hours of stand up in front of them my family for the first time and that was really my first stand up performance that i'd never really told anybody about but um but i got them laughing for a decent amount of it but then there was a part where like i started talking about like sex losing my virginity i was like dad you knew and like there's only six people in the room and one of them was my dad you know what i'm saying so like talking about this whole experience like in front of my family like yeah hey, you said there was something musty in the air it was me dad you know you're finding out now you know and, like that happened a few years before that so it was just you know so stuff like that we're like okay this can make it awkward for not only me but other people uh, when I came back from LA, I had a lot of like self-deprecating stuff. That's when I was like, you know, through my stuff, uh, and I still have that kind of in my set at certain points. But you know, I was going through a very self-deprecation phase because I was like, oh man, like I just came from LA, sleeping on a blow-up mattress, you know, and it's deflated for a while. So I was like, hey, come back to my water raft. You're really gonna love it, you know. <laughs> um, you know, so stuff like that. But people were like, start to feel bad. They're like, damn, you almost like said too much. Like, I feel awful. Like, I want to make sure that I paid the ticket price because you definitely need it. You know, like that's where you can overexpose yourself. Um, and I think about just like being almost too honest sometimes on the microphone. It's like it can be hurtful to you and others. Because mm -hmm. um, as much as everybody should have an opinion, not everybody should speak their opinion, I feel like. Or at least like to a I mean, that sounds bad. But I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that people shouldn't be filtered. But I think that they're like, I there's certain people that I don't want to hear about. I'll hear their, like them speak one time. And I'm like, all right. Like, I don't want to hear what comes out of their mouth next. Because what do people want to hear today? Like, that, that's, we'll, just, we'll just go there because that's the thing as um, my generation, there was no topic that was taboo. And I, yeah. get that we've, I, I do believe we've changed as a society. And I think in a lot of ways it's been good. We are more sensitive as a society yeah. to people and their differences. I'm okay with that. I, I mean, I think that we're better off as a society that way. I yeah. think it's at times too ridiculous. And also, we still have people that are very callous. But I think in the middle, I think we're okay. No, 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 for sure. My, my question is, though, like, I would think that doing what you do for a living has to be incredibly difficult because of the environment that we all maneuver in today. Yeah. Do you have to look at a joke sometimes and say that might work for this person? They can do it, but I can't do it. Not not because of race or anything like that, but you ha do you have to find out what works for you? And as a part of that, where the lines of of quote unquote decency are? Do you have yeah. to dance around that line? Right, and I mean that's what I was talking about. It's more for me when it comes to hearing people speak. Like I I don't I think everybody has an opinion, and yeah, you should be able to speak your opinion. But I do think if it for me at least. If it's hate involved, if it's like driven to a certain degree to where like it's gonna cause a riot type stuff, that's where in my mind it's like it, it that irks me because as a stand up, I'm constantly getting up on stage trying out something that I think's hilarious and then nobody laughs, but then I'll talk about like you know, like just winky jokes and people are like dying laughing and you're like, Wow, that's what you find funny? That's what I can talk about? You're telling me I can talk about my winky but I can't talk about like the president? You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's where it's Yeah. You know, like you have to really think hard before you do a political joke, right? Because you know yeah. half the room's going to fucking hate it and half the room's going to be okay with it, right? Yeah, I mean, in the whole president, like the whole Trump presidency, I was trying so hard because at the beginning it was like, okay, make Trump jokes. But then towards the end, it's like, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Like nobody did. But like at the beginning, I was like, how, what is the right way to bring it up? So like I literally would bring it up like and I don't use this anymore obviously but I'm like what do you think the president smells like you know and then people are like okay like that's not is he's not being mean yet he's not like that is like an open minded type of thing you know and um, 
you know like does he smell like a garden full of hose you know and like which is a double entendre but like you know it's just like stuff like that where you know you you're throwing stuff out there that like you're like all right is that catching is it catching is it catching? okay man they still got it you still got him you still got him okay i lost him you know like <laughs> you know and that I, goes on throughout a set doesn't it? i mean like, well, what it, it sucks when you like finally learn a trumpet impression like i i uh I was doing. He's no so, longer cool. He's no longer comedically cool anymore, <laughs> no, right? No, no. <laughs> and I did like the sketch show when I was talking about Tully Vanilla, and I did. We did as soon as he found out that Donald Trump was like, "There's a decent chance he's going to win." I was like, "I want to beat SNL to the punch of doing a Trump sketch of like him accepting, you know, the honor." So I have a video up, and you're probably going to hate it if you watch it, but uh, it has twenty thousand views, and you know, we went maybe a little too far, but it it got laughter. People like did appreciate it, but. Right, right, right. Um, but it was just one of those things where, like, you realize in that moment, like, okay, I have an opportunity. Do I chase it? Do I right. go after it? This could right. change my life. This could also ruin my life. Um, you get death threats if you do the wrong thing. Um, I just want to do the Trump impression just so I can get it out because I'm probably not going to be able to do it again for a while. But Okay, all right, fellow Americans. Um, okay, that was – I mean, it's been, it's been <laughs> in men's houses I've done it. But uh, I saw Terry Jones and it inspired me to do impressions. Uh, he may be back, unfortunately, at some point in time. So you may be able to revisit that someday. Yeah. I have a feeling that he ain't going away anytime soon, at least in terms of society. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, especially when you have that much money and you're a business guy like that. It's like it's tough to – you can beat somebody down so much. Yeah. But, like, when you can become financially successful and make a yeah. billion dollars, it's kind of hard to, like, not yeah, yeah, keep yeah. your face out there. Yeah. Who in town do you admire? I mean, obviously you talked about Terry a little so, bit. So, yeah, right? Terry um, – do you know who Derek Knopfsnyder is? Mm-mm. So Dick Knopfsnyder, when he was like 20 years old, got on like Funny or Die festival. Okay. Um, and he's very, very funny, and he's he's actually doing like a new showcase now every Thursday, Rock Bottom. They just okay. started last week, um, right by in, in the waterfront, and he he's a uh, one of the top touring uh, college comedians. Okay. And he's family friendly. Like yeah, the, the last name sounds familiar to me. I just can't picture him. Yeah, but I mean that's that's somebody I look up to, and he's uh, only a few years older than me. So we have we'll have I mean my, throughout my career basically, he's yeah. basically been on the phone with me once a year at least for like a couple hours, just right kind of spitting ideas with them. Um, uh, I want to say Marcus Cox. I mean, mm-hmm. like again, somebody that like mm-hmm. is kind of getting to a point where he can headline and yeah. and and he's very good. And um, you know, it's almost I mean, it's interesting to see people like that though because. I mean, just in general, this scene, it's interesting to see this scene because in other cities, people will become full-time comedians at some point. And here, it's like you respect these people so much because they are trying to become that, but they have a family to raise, right. and they have to have either a business or, or pursue a job at the same time. Um, and, you know, someone like Marcus Cox, who has kids and yeah. who's, you know, he owns a business, and he's doing this. And, and I mean, I, you got to appreciate that, the, especially to be able to get laughter consistently yeah. with all that going on. Why is Pittsburgh such a tough town for entertainers, whether it's music, comedian? I mean, I know it's a tough town. It's just a... I, it's blue-collar. People people want country concerts and sports. Nobody wants comedy here. Nobody really wants want a lot. Con- they want country concerts and sports. Yeah. Do we really want country music, or is it just an excuse to get drunk in this town? Really? Uh, talk to Heinz Field about it, because, I mean, they pack that place every time they do a country concert. I mean, it's like... They do, like, three a year. I mean, like, I don't know if and it's... they're packed. I mean, the same thing with the amphitheater. But are the country bands doing that well in Southwestern PA? It's a question I just... I mean, I know metal has gone like this. Straight ahead rock and roll, a little better, maybe, consistently. I don't... I really don't I know if country lyrics. sells in Pittsburgh. I don't know. Uh, does I mean, it? in my opinion, it does. And, like, just seeing, like, people in the industry, it definitely does. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, one, it's a great drinking event. 
Two, two, you can kind of bring your family to it. It's a great drinking. Cup. Yeah, but then like three, it's the fact that like the lyrics are very like personable and like have to are, like very rela- you know relative. Um, that's why rap shows. I mean, I think rap like hip hop, rap and and um and comedy for some reason in Pittsburgh are just not that known. I mean, even the comedians I talk to in L.A., they're like, I don't even go to the Pittsburgh Improv because it's not in Pittsburgh. It's like outside of Pittsburgh, the waterfront. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I. I don't know. I mean, you got Arcade Comedy Theater, and I think I respect Jason Clark for running that because that's definitely a great. Um, but our downtown theater, but area is not, not vibrant like other cities. No, it's just not, not at all. It's not. You go like, outside yeah. the city at least a few miles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, what was the question again? I'm sorry. Well, no, I just is is. I guess my my point is Pittsburgh is a tough town for anyone who entertains. This is the town where, quite frankly. You know, you'll get a guy to take a girl out for a, a date, and he'll buy her a seventeen-dollar fancy, you know, uh, I don't know, drink, right, to impress her. But the guy won't spend five dollars for the co- for the band who uh, the cover charge for yeah. a band who lugged all their shit there to play for three hours. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. We don't respect, you know, live local live events like some other cities do. Well, and I think it's because people. They either want to spend forty dollars to see like the best, of the best, or they don't want to spend any money at all and not see anybody. Like mm-hmm. I, I think I think people don't want to be, um, they don't want to get their hopes up and be disappointed. And I think the problem with, I mean, even like I was telling you about like free shows, greater paid shows. It's not that it's all about the money, but there's an aspect of money and paying for a ticket for a show that you expect a certain quality. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I, I don't know why. I think I think it's more of the fact that the improv, like maybe they're afraid the openers are going to suck. And like I even heard like moments where people are like, oh, I took my whole entire business out to the improv. And there's this guy that everybody knows, headliner wise, but he just didn't do good. And it made everybody upset. And he said about this. Well, or, that's his life, though, right? I mean, that can happen is, to anybody. And that's comedy. I mean, like there's comedians that I know that are absolute killers. They go out and they slap for 30, you know, 30 to 60, sometimes 60. I watch a guy do 120. Like it's like you, you're like, whoa. You know, like it's like the like the Bill Cosby aspect with Terry's like, like you see these people that do two hours stand up and they're killing it for two hours but then you see people the same exact people go off for two hours right. and bomb and right. you're like right. Right. i mean right. most of the time they're not going to end up with two hours they're going to stop at like you know 45 because like i need to get the fuck out of here uh that is not a place you want to stay in that's not an environment that's going to keep you going you're like oh, i'm glad i spent two hours doing that um <laughs> but i think that's what people are afraid of in pittsburgh and i think it's more people want to drink and communicate you know like you're trying to take a girl you're gonna spend money you want to go talk to your girl and you want to like be able to like have that moment but like comedians there is comedians that like are starting out and they're so attention hungry that like if you even talk to your girlfriend or what drink you're ordering they'll get mad they're like oh you guys talking you huckling what are you doing and you're like all right dude relax jeezy you know and that's what's your stance on on um I don't know, engaging the audience. I mean, you mentioned prior that you're good at it, but I mean, what's your, how do you handle hecklers and, you know, do you, will you pick out folks and roast them? Uh, I enjoy it. I definitely don't think everybody should do it. I've even had moments where I regret it. Um, but I do think that like, as far as crowd work goes, it's, um, it gets some people involved. I think especially with the first couple of minutes you get on stage, if you're not talking about the venue, the area, the people, and you're just talking about yourself or, or like even current events are acceptable because people relate to that. If you're not relatable to the audience, especially in the first couple of minutes, you're not there. 
you're somewhere else. You're in space while these people are here. How did Stephen Wright make it then? <laughs> he bombs eight hundred times. There's always an anomaly, right? There's always. I mean, a that's black like Mitch Hedberg. Right? I don't know if you've heard about Mitch Hedberg, but like he literally would yeah. bomb over yeah. and over and over again. And then somebody was like, "Bro, he's still he got it." Like when he when people are paying attention and they get what he's doing, they're gonna love it. And then uh-huh. once he built that fan base, that's when it really they, blew up. And they, people go in there expecting that dry. Yeah. Okay. But even when he was taping like his first <clears throat> Comedy Central thing, supposedly he didn't do that well. Got because it. people didn't know who he was and what to expect. No, I get that. I get that. No, I, I, t- I totally get that. I just, I think about this town. It's, it's just, a, this is a very hard town. And it's I've seen entertainers sure. get angry at this town. They don't wear it as a badge or anything, but when you get them talking, you can see that there's, or angry is probably a strong word. They get frustrated. Yeah. Well, because it's, think about sports. Think about Antonio Brown. I mean, like, obviously he ended up being, like, a bad person all over our eyes, and, like, he, he did some things that obviously he shouldn't have done. But before that, when he was actually, like, getting the records every season, People still didn't respect him because he didn't have a championship. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh, it's like if you don't have rings and you're bringing the rings to us and you're mm-hmm. making us excited and happy, then we don't care for you. We don't want you. Like at least mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, that's you know, I mean, even Mac and Wiz. Take. Mac and Wiz. I mean, as much as they had success here, they didn't have like really major success until they left and came back and were on tour and like you know, like that was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, so they always represented the city, but like it was one of those things where. They only performed here so many times a year because they knew that they would sell out if they did it multiple times a year. But if they were here like every week, right? Nobody would appreciate them at all. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it'd be oversaturation. Um, and I think that's just it. Like you have to earn your respect here. If you don't earn, you have to grind out. Like you have to, especially in stand up. Like you have to take your bombs here. You have to have bad performances here and show people the longevity of it and and kind of prove to them that like this is your career. Because right. people, I went in thinking, like, I literally, day one, I'm like, I'm a stand-up comedian, guys. Hey, good to see you. Hey, I'll sign your autograph. You know, but, like, in reality, it's like, no, like, go 10 years in, get a TV credit, get on The Tonight Show, like, perform every night of the week for years, you know, get up to 45 minutes, like, really show this is your career. You know, like, I don't, I mean, it's like saying you're a real estate agent, but, like, you've never even sold a house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, that's just, that's not true. That sounds like L.A. to me. What? Which is described, just saying you are somebody and expecting instant. Um, I'm not saying comedians. I'm saying there's an element of L.A. where there's the illusion and then there's the reality. Yeah. Sometimes the illusion yeah. sells better than the reality does. I mean, right? 100%. Right? 100%. I mean, it's, it's you fake it until you make it. You got to look the look. Like, I honestly, I think some of the parts of the reasons why I wasn't successful early on there, and it wasn't so much that I didn't find my voice yet or it wasn't funny, it was like, I didn't look like a celebrity. I didn't look like I was going to be a star. Mm-hmm. I was I was broke. I was dressing like in... I still wear flannels a lot because I just feel like it's like a easy look to have that's not too expensive and um, you look like an average person and I think that sometimes that's almost better like to fit in with the crowd. Right. Um, but then I have like a jacket like this where it's like, you know, sometimes I just feel like I want to be confident. I want to have... I want to know what my style is. Um, and I think when I moved to LA originally, mm-hmm. I had a varsity bomber jacket when I was leaving, uh, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh at my first credit card, which is, I mean, that's kind of why I left LA cause I got into credit card debt and it was, you know, I fucked myself. But, uh, but I think like, you know, I started realizing like, what is my style? How do I look like a star? You have to craft all that, right? Yeah. Because I mean, like when you have that confidence and you look yeah, like a star, people yeah. give you the benefit of the doubt. Of course. They're like, I want to see course. what he's about. But then yeah. when you bomb, like it's always going to have pressure. And when you bomb with that outfit, they're like, mm-hmm. yikes, you know, like, well, that's like anything else too it, it's uh you spend the at least my experience has been you spend a good portion of your life figuring out 
who you are. And part of that is the clothes you wear and how you conduct yourself and then what activities you get involved in. You figure, you craft, you figure that out. And then you have some success and then you try to, you try to really hammer out, you know, do, am I going to keep doing the things that I need to do to be successful or do I want to be more, um, I don't know, authentic? Yeah. You know, and a couple of years yep. ago I made that decision too, that real estate was easy for me. I, I enjoyed it, Kevin, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out. I mean, I can go, you know, I certainly can go buy any suit that I want and put on any image that I want, but it really at this point, you know, I would just be bullshitting myself. Yeah. And I just don't want to be that. So when people meet me, they're going to get the authentic me. Now I will tell you, there was decades prior in my life where I thought I needed to craft a different image, right? But was that really me? Yeah. Not really. Yeah. You know, I think in being comfortable in your own skin is probably the best advice anybody can give any younger person. But I can imagine in relation to what you're doing, your image up there is everything. It's your delivery, your voice, your appearance, everything. So everything you do, you really got to kind of, it's got to be contrived. You got to think about it, right? And especially now with like the social media aspect too, like that, that's even more. It's you more know, accentuated. Like, right. I mean, especially like TikTok. Think about TikTok and these people that are 18 years old. No, but I'm saying it's like a social media, it's like a Facebook, yeah. but it's for like young people like originally. It's video related, right? Yeah. It's like sh- short videos, like less than one minute. But there's 18 year olds that are like either they're, whether they're dancing to a song or whether they're actually putting up cool, unique stuff. Right. There's 18 year olds now that are worth 10 million dollars well, on this app. They're creating it. Con- yeah, they're creating. Yeah, content. but I'm just saying to see an 18 year old build a fan base by being like good looking or like yeah. being oh, it's like possible. In- I'm just saying that like in this day and age, for me, it's I'm gonna have a lot easier of a time being successful in stand up, being attractive, losing weight, having a six pack, doing stuff like that really makes my image look a certain way. No question. And not that I care about no that. No question. But it definitely is inspiring to me. The point where like I see people that I'm close with. And we're both at like a similar level, but they're blowing up because they're taking their shirt off on stage. You're like, okay. And they know that. So you're, all the ladies want to come out and see them. And you're like, okay, like that's one aspect to it. Then there's the aspect where it's like people that are like kind of a little nerdy. They're in the comic books. Mm-hmm. And that's what they talk about on stage. I mean, um, they're crafting their image. They're crafting their Whether image. Whether it is like, really them or not, right. they're crafting the image. But it's like, what is your demographic of what do you want it to be? Right. Yeah. You know, it's and, a constant study. Am I right? Right. And I think that that's. Yeah, I mean, I, I. So what you said, I mean, you're 100 right. As long as you're authentic to yourself and happy with who you are, mm-hmm. nobody's opinion really matters because you will find the right demographic that fits what you're looking for if you're putting out content and trying to build a following. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you are gonna have. I think I've definitely had moments where I've tried to impress certain people. Or, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I think why another reason I'm not as successful as I, I would like to be is because. There's definitely been moments where you try to put on a front for somebody or have too much confidence or hype yourself up too much or try to be sexy or try to be uh, wearing the outfits that you think you should wear. And at the end of the day, is like if I would have just been my natural self of like who I was raised to be, yeah, I might not have been the most attractive person, but I wouldn't have went up there more authentic. Um, I probably still would have had the same confidence, but it's just, you know, it takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off of like right. W- right. of having to do, having to be somebody. Um yeah, I, I I totally I respect that, and 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 when you're I was will tell you when you're younger, it's because you haven't been around as long. You know, you don't have a point of reference like you will have twenty years from now as to yeah. who you really are. Right. You know, but but being that that it's so important to craft your image because you're only going to get that one chance to make it. You get you know, hundred new people sitting out there, right? So that first opportunity, and I guess that's the that's probably the horrific 
uh, thing about stand up to the average person is, oh my God, that's a hundred strangers, maybe give or take five or six people I know, but generally it's a hundred strangers out there that I want to jump up on stage and I'm completely exposed. See, I think it's awesome. I'd rather yeah, be in front of that, that attitude. I'd rather right? I do better in front of crowds that I don't know than crowds that are like my hometown crowds. I, I kind of get that. because it's like the hometown crowds are going to judge you so heavily. They're like, "Oh, you think you're making it out of this box? Huh? I'm in this box still, and I've been in it for my life. You know, like you think you're getting." That's Sounds like Pittsburgh, pal. That's what I'm saying. Whereas, like, you go to like, I mean, even Pittsburgh, though, when you do shows in front of a lot of people you don't know, they are you. It's your first impression, right? It's your first time going up right, there. So, like, right. I will be a little bit more of what I'm not actually. And like right now, I'm like, you know, I, I would say that like uh, I'm an organic guy right now. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like being this kind of like uh, exposed a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, like you know, whereas you go up on stage, like you have that moment where I can be that kooky guy and do these characters and voices and have this overconfidence because to them it's like it's their first time seeing that they're like wow this guy like you know i'm i'm there to make in my mind i'm there to make them laugh Mm -hmm. so obviously i'm gonna do what i can to make them laugh and know what my strengths and weaknesses are and i do think my weaknesses sometimes are being like this where i'm just having a normal conversation because if i go up on stage and if i'm not throwing punchlines especially if i'm having a normal conversation on stage that's not gonna get the laughter right. that i will get if i'm like nonstop, like throwing out a roast i'm throwing out impressions i'm doing you know like i'm doing like act outs and i'm like spinning a bottle on my head or whatever it is you know but like i'm there to entertain you know so uh-huh. that's where stand-up's a little bit different than some of the fields where you know um I don't know, but even being a musician, man, I think, like, look at some of those rock stars from, like, the 80s and the way they dress. Like, look at Kiss. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. they put on makeup to make people, you know, like, to look a certain way to Mm -hmm. feel like a rock star. Mm -hmm. And that's why nobody else, I mean, I feel like... be different. I mean... It'd be different, right? Right. And it just stuck. Then then, hey, like, shit, we guess I gotta keep doing it now, right? Yeah. (laughs) I gotta put a wig on, high heels, and makeup? I mean, come on. (laughs) But the money was good. I think think that using them as a reference is that, that... in the end, it really comes down to having a work ethic that you've yeah. got to get up and do it. Just think about it. In their situation, everything, I mean, the, the get ready for a gig for them is like an hour and a half, you know? Yeah. Whereas like Bruce Springsteen just hops up on stage and goes. Right. But they're, they're, the work ethic, they're willing to do whatever it takes to make it. Definitely. And I think you have to see that in your business too, right? Definitely. I mean, and that's why it's kind of like, it's almost sad. It's very sad. It's honestly, I mean... It's probably the saddest thing I've ever witnessed to be a part of different uh, cities, clubs, and atmospheres, especially like L.A. When I first went there, it's way different than the second time I went there in 2019. Like the first time I went there and saw, that's when Paul was like, oh, man, like you're the happy guy. Um, and then within a few months, my blow-up mattress is deflated. He's like, oh, look at this guy. Now he wants to kill himself. Can you believe that? You know? <laughs> and it's like, it's just like you, like it is a depressing-ass town. And like you see this stuff and you see these people that are living in their car for years. And they're like, I- I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Like they're delusional. And you have to be in that kind of career field yeah. where like your life can change in a day. But if you are delusional to a point where like you're a psychopath or like you you know like there's certain aspects of that where it's like it's very sad it's a very sad reality Mm -hmm. um and that's where you kind of almost have to be a little educated you almost have to be street smart yeah Yeah. almost have to uh stand out the way you look and maybe spend a little bit more money for certain clothes that are unique to your style Mm -hmm. um because you know there's there's people that are like Especially with the pandemic hit. I mean, I literally just moved right off. I can't imagine what it's like now there. Yeah, in February. I mean, it's sad. It's like crazy to see like nobody there. But in February last year, I finally hit a point, Eric, where I finally felt like I found like the apartment I wanted to be in for the, for a while. Right. I finally felt like I was in L.A. and like there to stay forever. Um, 
and I moved right off Sunset Boulevard in February. Like I was there, I moved there in September 2019. So I actually got kicked out of my house that August. I was in Chicago still. Um, I was doing comedy full time for that month. I did I produced shows weekly, right. monthly, bi weekly. Right. I was really getting to a point um, of feeling like successful, but I was I got kicked out, so I was like feeling, you know, uh, like this is all I have. Okay. And vulnerable, and that was the first time I actually got laughed for doing material that I was about getting kicked out and like being like kind of sad. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then when I moved to LA that September, I knew that going back, I knew I had the right friends and the right like I don't know. I you knew were that set I, up to do it. Yeah, time. I was set up to do it. You yeah. know, and um, and I slept in somebody's living room for like the first five months. You know, like Dylan saw him from Dylan saw my friend. He just got a credit on Comedy Central. He let me stay with him for a couple of days. And then Paul's old assistant from when I first started, right. the guy that was there the first day, that assistant I lived with for the first like for the second like week or week and a half. Okay. And then I moved into somebody's on Facebook, their marketplace, like somebody's uh living room. All they had was a bed and like that was it. I didn't even have like curtains to put up in between like the like the kitchen or anything. People to walk past the front door past me sleeping to go to the room for the first like five months and then I got I then I got to the point where I uh, February, I had this ten city tour plan with the Versity Triplets from America's Got Talent. I produced the whole whole thing with them. I was going to feature. I was getting up at the comedy store a couple of times, so I was like getting recognized right, and getting right, there. Right. Um, so I moved right off Sunset Boulevard, right by the comedy store and Laugh Factory. Dream, my childhood dream, came to life. Two weeks later, did that ten city tour. Not even that. I'm paying rent for twelve hundred dollars for half for two weeks because I'm not even there for two weeks. And then ten, I come ten city tour. 10 city tour it's supposed to be like 11 or 12 but two of them got canceled because of weather okay but yeah 10 city and like i would say eight of them are solid very solid like yeah. uh, I, yeah. I i honestly feel very yeah. thankful to have the footage of all that too yeah um but we did them in i think 14 days or 15 days um and then i got back uh i was working at funko so the toy company yeah and it was actually like a great time they supported me i came back to me round of applause like yo give it up for this guy he's doing it and like no other job i've ever had where people were like yo he's leaving for to do what he loves like you know and that's um, cool and and then i uh i got on the cover of a magazine in march artistic platforms in, right. Be in uh right. beaver county and then um i got up at the uh potluck at the comedy store like right. a week after and i had the best set of my life it was the one week the booker wasn't there though which is uh, upsetting but you know everybody there regular wise people that worked there everything was like hey man you did great like you should be mm -hmm. proud of that mm -hmm. it's like wow thank you and i finally felt like i was a, really a part of the family even though i was a little bit before got it, got it. and then the week later everything shut down and uh, yeah so within a month and a half i went from being like literally Holy like the shit. top of my entire life wow. to like just slowly slowly creaking down sleeping creaking down um, you were talking to Terry about like the financial situation. Yeah. I mean, for me, I got like unemployment for a few months, um, but then like August it ran out, and thankfully I saved a decent amount of it. But my friend here, he was going through a hard time, and um, and he was like, "Hey man, if you want, like we went on vacation, like Laguna Beach before I left, so I could show him LA. I went to Santa Monica, and then mm -hmm. we went to uh, uh, Laguna, and I, I was, I honestly love that place. But, um, but basically." I moved in with him, and uh, it's gonna sound crazy, Eric, but I was uh, working on writing a. I was working on a TV pilot about mm -hmm. about working at a Texas Roadhouse, and I literally this past fall I was working at a Texas Roadhouse again, you know. And then and then now it's like I'm not working there anymore, but like I, it's one of those things where it just got. It, it was just a such a rock bottom to be yeah. at such a high point, I get it. you know. And to get back, so my life is literally the craziest roller coaster ever. Um, but now it's like I I was thankful enough to 
being this awesome project in January in Dallas, like a film project and acting and you know screenwriting yeah. and, um, and that precipitated you coming down there, right? Yeah. So now they're working on my project and I have a lot of cool people involved and uh, I'm not saying it's life changing, Eric, but uh, I definitely felt very welcome down there. I definitely mm -hmm. felt I, I visited Austin and I saw like. I saw that like Dallas is Austin is like almost becoming LA now. We're all all LA comedians, yeah, no a lot doubt. of comedians from across the country. It's all Rogan's fault. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he put it in the best way possible. And it was well. The craziest part is though, that's where South by Southwest is. That is a bumping scene already. Yeah. So yeah. like that is almost like Chicago right yeah. now, or like or a mix between Chicago, yeah. LA, and New York City. In it's one. the most cosmopolitan city in Texas. Yeah, and and one where there's a lot of opportunity, and like you can really. I, again it's gonna be one of those places where you can change your life in a week type of place right, right um but dallas four hours away i saw that more as like a pittsburgh where it's like a little bit tougher a little bit grittier um but like a little bit cheaper too which is good but also the fact that like it's not it's bigger than pittsburgh stand-up scene way more supportive people come out they sell out shows mm -hmm. um but the fact that it's dallas and fort worth two major cities and arlington yeah. all within this area yeah. there's a lot of people in that area right people are gonna buy tickets people people spend money down there for right. things and um, I can just see, I see the potential in Dallas where I can be producing a lot of shows there, even though I'm mm -hmm. not there, even though I'm on tour, I can still be producing weekly and monthly and bi-weekly shows in Got Dallas it. and build that scene up because Got the it. biggest thing I've heard right there is that Austin is too saturated already now to the point where there's not enough producers. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, very limited stage time. It's, it, but it's fun. People care about each other more right. than it's, it's right. not as much as a battle as LA, but Dallas is now where there's a decent saturation of comedians again. But there's so many venues that aren't doing comedy mm -hmm. that, like, I see the potential and already starting to talk to venues that aren't normally, like, for comedy that are going to mm -hmm. slowly become comedy venues. Um, and I had the showcase called Rising Laughter in Chicago, and they changed the name now. But basically, we did it for two years, and now it's going on its third year as, like, a thing. So um, they sell out every week now, and... I'm going to use the name Rising Laughter to bring that back as a weekly showcase. Okay. And even if it's monthly, bi-weekly, or weekly, but it's going to be a, a basically a showcase monthly in multiple cities across the country. Okay. Even if I'm not there, just to provide stage time, just to help out others. Got it. Um, so I'm just really starting to understand what my path is. I'm starting mm -hmm. to understand where I was in February and what led me to this position um, and kind of understand what are the mistakes that I made that I, that I should have learned from in February when all that stuff went down and... I mean, obviously, none of us knew it was going to last that long, but I think two, like, really, it's... But the 14 it, days to flatten the curve? Yeah, really, seriously. <laughs> um, but it really comes down to, like, uh, money. I mean, like, understanding money. Yeah. I think even yeah. being an adult, um, I mean, not even just money, but, like, sleep, understanding, like, how things affect you, like, how, how what affects you. I mean, we're talking about, like, getting sexy and stuff to, like, look better on stage or please yeah. certain people, but, like, at the end of the day, like, I'm realizing that, like, I've sacrificed a lot of my body to like sleep on couches and floors yeah. for this craft. Mm -hmm. And now with like scoliosis that I've had my whole life, like I've definitely sacrificed that mm -hmm. to pursue this. So now it's like, I understand money, I understand my body, I understand health and wellness and understanding that that and family and friends are way more important than anything else first and no foremost. Um, but when you can pursue a, a, a path like I am and see how to make money from it and to use that to, you know, to put towards health and wellness as well as your family and friends. Like, right. I can't wait until I can get, you know, to the point where I can move my mom. If I, especially if I'm staying, I don't know how long I'll be in Dallas. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. I like to move across the country, but, um, and I do see myself being in LA at some point again. But, uh, you know, I, I really would love to get to the point where I can just afford to bring my mom wherever mm -hmm. I go, you mm -hmm. know, because I, if I don't see my mom on a weekly basis or like monthly or, you know, like when I was living in Chicago or LA and didn't see her for, 
you know once every six months or once every year right. it's like it's depressing man it's like mm-hmm. you got to know who like cares about you and well, family is everything and then it's overstated and i think people don't pay lip service but i mean you know you and as you get older i will tell you as you get older the things that matter the most to you are the relationships just conversations with people that seems to to at some point it will surplant money in terms of priorities in your life i don't know what point that happens and it's different for everybody but at some point you know because as you can see you know you can see what retirement looks like you can see what being older looks like and you don't want to be there alone yeah does that make any sense there's a there's some guy it's hard to tell a younger person that but that stuff becomes very i don't know if i think and if someone tells you it doesn't they're probably lying to you yeah it becomes more important than money well but the craziest part though is for me for stand-up i think one of the reasons why i'm pushing so hard to make money from this one because a lot of people don't do it so like if you can find the way to make money and that's awesome mm-hmm. um but two it's like i think really it comes down to like you said like the aspect of i mean time and family and friends and, and precious moments and if you can't afford to have time if you're working two jobs especially if you don't like them and then you're taking up the time so you can't see your family and friends and you can't do the things mm-hmm. you love i mean that's super sad um but i think for me i'm getting this point in stand-up where I'm not gonna. I don't want a headline yet because I don't deserve to headline yet. I, I when I when I headline like I mean that's why I like doing this Kevin Budkey and Friends. The fact that that sold out in McKee's Rocks where I you know I, was, I lived for the first seven years of my life. I had a babysitter come out with their daughters that I, they twenty years ago. I was here for twenty years that came out and they loved it. Their first comedy right. show ever. And they're like this is the best thing ever. Right. Um. You know. So it's like stuff like that where it's like okay I'm getting to a point where I can start to headline. I can start to maybe sell it out too. Right. Um. But I don't deserve it and I think it's because there's a point in stand-up where you hit a plateau and mm-hmm. you climb this, you get to the point where you're climbing up a crazy ass Eiffel tower and it's impossible to get there. But once you do, you hit a plateau because you either don't have a TV credit or you're not around, you have the right friendships to get mm-hmm. you there, the right politics, you know? Um, and I think I'm getting to the point now where I'm already providing enough opportunities for others without that credit. Right. That like once I do get a TV credit or work on the right movie or TV show or project um, or even the right album, that like I'll get what I need to be able to headline across the country and provide opportunity to open this gate of opportunity for all these people just like Joe Rogan did for others. Right. Um, and and the money will come with that. And I think that with that money, it's not that I want money, Eric. I, I want to be able to have the money though to to be able to produce these movies, to produce these shows, mm-hmm. to produce these to create lot yeah, to create more and provide opportunity. Like I think Robin Williams, every time he worked on a movie, he made sure that they gave jobs to homeless people. And, like, I think for me, it's like, okay, that's awesome. And I want to give back to the homeless mm-hmm. people and, you know, and really give back. But I think to me, it's about these people that have been grinding for 10 years, that have been 15 years, 20 years, that have been really going hardcore at this and are at a point where they plateaued and it's hard for them to get out because they don't have that TV credit. They don't have that in. And, I, I've, I haven't had it easy. I think Paulie, I think, gave me like almost like a cheat code where, and like he's the only person that ever really gave me a, an opportunity um, other than maybe like a few bars um, and like venues. But, you know, I think that not many people have it in. And, and to pursue a career like this, which is already impossible for 99% of the people, if I can be the one guy that opens up another 1% of mm-hmm. the people to be able to do this, to make money and do what they love and to just get that fulfillment mm-hmm. that they're looking for. I mean, that's, 
that's like game changer. You know, I think uh, you ever see the. It's very unselfish of you, though. I mean, that's 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 a very unselfish um, goal. That's a very unselfish drive. But I mean, right? yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I hope, but I I think it's it's more about. I mean, for me, even like when I went to Meadville and did that show, I made sure I had a friend come. I asked, I was like, hey, can I get a spot for my friend? Because. Mm-hmm. I got to have that camaraderie. I got to mm-hmm. have that friendships. You know, I, why would I want to perform in front of strangers without even being around somebody that I care about? You know, like, yeah. I mean, that's, if I can go see family right now, or I can go on stage in front of a bunch of strangers and, and perform with strangers, the normal person would be like, hey, I'm going to go like right. be with my family because that's right. like the good part about it. Right. But the aspect that you can cheer a hundred, cheer up a hundred people and make their day. And mm-hmm. then especially if you can do it with a friend and mm-hmm. it, have people in the audience that are, that, you know, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the part of it that really matters to me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, you ever see the Gary Shanley documentary? Oh yeah. The Zen Diary. Oh my God. I've watched yeah. that. I'm not gonna lie. I've probably watched it a hundred times, like yeah. both parts. He was a funny guy. Very funny oh, yeah. guy, but I didn't know a lot about him. No, like I, I yeah. saw stuff about him, I saw his shows yeah. and movies, but yeah. I didn't know a ton and to learn yeah. about it. And the thing that hit me the mo- most and resonated with me the most, and especially for like my age, was the the mentor aspect at mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's crazy that mm-hmm. I've always uh, a lot of the reasons actually why certain people don't like me in this field is because I'm always gonna be the person that's like, hey, how can I help you become better? What can I do? Like, you might be better than me, but like, can I find you a venue that you can headline at and like pay your rent with? Like, what can I do to help you, whether you're below me or above me in this career field? What can I do to benefit you? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially like when I see kind, genuine people that, especially that have been through a lot and that, you know, man, oh man. Well, the pandemic has certainly exposed a lot of those circumstances. You know, people that were not exposed prior, for for better or worse, are certainly now exposed due to the pandemic. And that this slowed down and and, and the subsequent restart, which is, I think, starting to happen now, thank God. Yeah. But it's it's going to be a different dynamic now, would you not agree? Definitely. And I think with stand up and you know that these kind of entertainment career fields it's definitely gonna be interesting to see like who comes back who who can right. because i mean my whole life i'm not gonna lie eric when i uh, when i had the relationship with the girlfriend when i first started um you know in the back of my mind i was like you know what when, when it all ended i was like i will always have a stand-up mm-hmm. so if i don't have a girlfriend which i mean right now i definitely not focus on that at all um but like if i had a girlfriend i i, I don't know i i I knew at the end of the day that if I can get on stage and have a microphone in my front of my face, I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. I knew that if I had, like, that's my home. Mm-hmm. My home is anywhere that a microphone and an audience are. That's my home. That's where I feel comfortable. Got it. I could be the, having the worst day of my life. Put me on that stage. I'll feel like, you know, like nothing bad is happening. Right. And right, right, um, right. when the pandemic hit, that's what really, it like, I mean, that's why like December, November, October last year were really bad um, because it was just like, it got to the point where you realize like, Oh, there's hope with this coming back. And then all of a sudden everything shuts down again. And you're like, wow, I've sacrificed everything for this. I've sacrificed everything knowing that I will always have this and then not have this. Yeah. That's like, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. I bet. And I, I, bet. I just hope that anybody that is pursuing a dream, especially in this kind of career field that involves a live audience and involves going out. Like, I just hope that like they're keeping their heads up, they're grinding, they're, they're seeing the. Well, we're going to see coming out of this pandemic. We're going to see yeah. those who really were were bound uh, to their dreams, and we're going to see who really has the drive. 
Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it's not even some people that have dreams. It's like people that were literally doing it full time that mm-hmm. like took their lives because mm-hmm. of the fact that you know, like that's the sad part. It's oh, it's like, a horrible thing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying that like if you were doing it, especially if you're doing it full time, like there's gonna you're gonna have that opportunity to do it full time again. Mm-hmm. But like if you're up and coming and you felt like you were getting momentum and then you got beat yeah. down, it's like just realize like you had a year now to almost think about how can I come back with right. a fire and fury and fucking. And let's hope that's what hype. they did. It's hope. As opposed to laying on the couch, drink, and watch Netflix. Right? Yeah. Which I mean, it's a good time. Just, yeah. Buddy, I appreciate this. Was it a good time for you? Yeah, it's awesome. Thank Come you. back and see me? I'm, I'm sure you're going to be back in Pittsburgh yeah. from time so, to time, right? I'll be producing shows here monthly and okay. eventually weekly and stuff, but um, I will be here like uh, every other month or like every three months uh, starting right in like May or July. Right so. We'll keep in touch. Absolutely. All right, man. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. No, buddy. thank you, man. All thank right, so much. and uh, they can reach you on social media. Yeah, right? so uh, Kevin Budkey, Kevin mm-hmm. B U D K E Y. Um, I'm mostly everything, and then StayHappyFamily.com for StayHappyFamily.com. Yeah, so that's yeah, my brand Stay Happy. So basically, that's where you can find the tickets yep. for events. You can find uh, like press, like I will put this on there. Yep. Um, and you can just find like partnerships we're doing, podcast stuff like that. So it's only going to be expanding more and more now that everything's back and you know getting back up and Good running. Deal. Good deal, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. All right, buddy. All right, friends, we are out. Hello. You're listening to the Eric McKenna Project.